0: Yes, I hadn't really considered it that way, but you really think the working class will...
1: They will destroy fascism because it is against their interest.
0: But in that case, isn't it even more of a mystery?
1: I see no mystery. But they adore Hitler! How can you say that? Hitler is the creation of the capitalist class. But they
0: adore him! My own cook, my gardeners, the people who work in my forest, the chauffeur, the gameskeeper, they are Nazis. I saw it coming over them. The love for this creature, my housekeeper, dreams of him in her bed. She'd serve my breakfast like a god had slept with her in a dream, slicing my toast. I saw this adoration in my own house. That that this is the dreadful fact. I beg your pardon, but it disturbs me. I admire your faith, all faith to some degree is beautiful, and when I know that yours is based on something so untrue, it's terribly disturbing. In any case, I cannot glory in the facts. There is no reassurance there. They adore him, the salt of the earth, adore
2: him. There's a burst of laughter from within the office. He glances there, as they all do. The theater, the theater. Bring it out, Louise.
3: Theater, theater.
2: Hey. Hello. Hey.
4: I, I fucking love our theme song. Our theme song rocks. <laughs> our theme song it's, rocks. It's radical. There's references in it. It's exciting. It gets you in the mood. It gets your energy flowing. I'm,
1: I'm obsessed. Uh, yes. Well, that's the brilliance of uh one uh, Ryan Thomas Johnson. Uh, yes, Ryan. Who is our composer. And um, man, I, I worked with, it's been 10 years since I first worked with Ryan, he was my musical director when we did the stage adaptation of uh, Forbidden Zone.
2: I saw that show. I still don't know what I watched, but it was
1: great. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the greatest compliments I got was uh, was French Stewart walking out of there, <laughs> and his face was was just glazed over, and he's like, "I don't know what happened, but I liked it." Uh, I was like, French uh,
4: Stewart, deep friend of the pod, deep friend of the uh, pod. And-
1: uh, yes, absolutely. A Sacred Fools uh member. And uh Bailey, why don't you do all those uh, bigger intro things?
4: The stuff. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the, the bullshit. Well, welcome uh to Theater Theater. The theater, theater, theater. podcast. Theater. I'm sorry. <laughs> the theater podcast for theater people. Uh we are three theater makers from the Los Angeles theater scene. I'm Jay Bailey Bircham.
2: I'm CJ Merriman.
1: And I am Scott Liggett.
4: And we are each members, like we said before, of the Sacred Fools Theatre Company. And each week we're going to get together and we're going to talk about plays and playwrights that we have strong opinions on. And we're going to discuss, debate, and disseminate. And this week we're talking about a playwright who I had very mixed feelings on. And now uh, I know exactly where I stand on him after all this research. I'm really excited to talk to him. You heard a scene... Uh, talk to him. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, sad, 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 sad. um <laughs> You
5: heard a podcast. scene.
4: <laughs> you heard a scene before um, from Incident of at Fiji, uh mm-hmm. which is now one of my new. Uh, well, we'll we'll talk about it. We'll I, I about really, really it. enjoyed the play. Who knew? Um, yeah, uh, but it is uh, a, a play I knew nothing about before mm-hmm. this, and yep. that Same. scene, that that monologue itself was one that hit me. And there's like three or four but that one itself was one that hit me in a way that I was like, wow, uh, okay, yeah, talk to the Times much. Why aren't we
2: doing this all the time now? Yeah,
4: right. <laughs> uh, but this is one playwright, uh, the one great legendary Arthur, the Arthur Miller.
2: Artie.
1: Ar- Arthur Ar- Asher Miller is his middle name.
2: Oh. Isn't that a great name? I like that name. That's yeah. nice. We have, some yeah. that.
1: we have some friends that have... A child named Asher. So,
2: so. That's one of the tribes of Israel, you know.
1: It sure is. Um, yeah, man. I, 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 I think I went into this episode going, well, we have to do Arthur Miller. Here it, we go. And I walked out, and, and I think it's because of all the high school stuff. Like you're, you're yeah. forced to read *Crucible*, and uh, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure *A Death of a Salesman*, in-, in not me. Uh, But it should be, it should absolutely be taught in school because you... you, Yeah, it
2: absolutely should. I went to ungodly rural America public school, so they were like, plays, no.
1: Well, I went to high school in the Deep South, but, you know, we, well, we had an AP program, so...
2: We did not. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Um, Also... Well, I came out of this kind of realizing um, that, you know, Miller... Hates America and maybe I do too. Uh,
2: I I disagree. I don't think he hates America.
4: I'm half kidding.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> he's got um, he's got yeah. notes. Yes. He's got notes. He's got notes. As do I now. Uh, yes. You know. <laughs> um. Yeah. I I was I was surprised at how I reacted to the stuff that I already knew the big the, the big three or four. Uh huh. Um, and was just. Just punched in the, like, incident at Vichy, which we'll get into more. I just actually punched in the gut. Same with a Uh view from a bridge. I was just punched in the gut. And sometimes I literally, my jaw opened at some of the one-liners. About halfway through the process.
2: I wrote down so many one-liners.
1: Well, you had mentioned, CJ, during the process when we were just sort of trading notes and doing pre-production stuff you had said, man, he's like, this guy's got all kinds of one-liners. And I'm like, what? Um <laughs> and I think you think of him as boring. And and whereas I I do definitely feel like he was uh an artist of his of his time and, and place. Um who he was right about a lot of shit and that's right. And also that, <laughs> yeah. you know,
4: and that's, that's um, mirrored and reflected in the fact that, that his plays are still done so much now. And that's kind of why we roll our eyes at it. Cause it's like, well, oh, uh, I've seen that play 400 times or I've seen a poster for it at a community theater or a high my school. Sons. Times. Yeah. But then, but now when you're like, really like, okay, no, I want to understand this guy. And I want to understand these, these uh, pieces of work. Oh, man, they hit you in, in ways that you j- I just wasn't ready for. Wasn't ready it's good for. shit. It's... We're all just in a cycle.
2: <laughs> we're and we're it. just circling the drain, my friends. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I don't know about the two of you. Uh, we should also say that we are doing this via Zoom uh, yeah. uh, because, uh, because of that quarantine thing. Hashtag quarantine <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I have a hashtag
2: a, pantsless podcast. Pantsless mm.
1: podcast. Uh, are we
4: all pantsless? Can we admit? Are,
2: I'm, I'm, I am. It's hot as balls in here. I so am. I am wearing. My balls are out.
1: I'm wearing um, workout shorts, short. but yeah, no. Short situation. No underwear. No. Mesh it, shorts. It's free, free balling. Free. free balling is so They're, nice.
2: There was commando. a punk band in my high school called Spoon, and one of their most popular songs was "Mesh Shorts Give Me a Boner." Did you...
1: Wow! <laughs> it's, it's true. It feels so listen. good. <laughs> it feels so good. And they they do, do this. especially <laughs> in fra- 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 <laughs> freshly washed ones.
2: Oh, yes. okay. Up on your nethers, especially when you're, oh, yeah, yeah. When you're
1: commando, oh. yeah. That's...
2: I'm learning whole new things. <laughs>
4: commando starring.
1: It's Arnold not Ford well. Smith. I guess it's not. I guess it's not really getting up there and. And rubbing lady junk, I suppose the ch- the shorts. I for mean, me, it's could. all
2: about the air. Yeah, sure, sure, sure
1: yeah, sure, gotta sure.
5: air it out, air it
4: out.
1: Uh, so that's our podcast. <laughs> thank, thank you for coming. Uh, thank you. Coming um, <laughs> out. Uh, no, no. Uh, <laughs> thank you, thank you to our sponsors, Nike Wear. Uh, no, I'm just kidding.
4: yeah. All this to say, we are in a heat wave right now in LA, and uh, it is very hot. So we're all having to. Oh, oh, another thing that we're doing to to refresh ourselves and keep uh, keep nice. I think we're all drinking a little something right now is that true
1: yes i have a lovely uh glass of uh uh, semi-expensive rye on the rocks Ooh.
2: that's fancy
4: smooth as smooth as can be i've got a nice little monday night uh moonshine situation it's uh apple um apple pie kind of flavor apple cinnamon apple cinnamon moonshine corn
5: whiskey
1: oh nice
2: boy that just sounds like one ticket train to hang over build me. Yeah
1: that's, the plan. <laughs> yeah. that's the plan. And so it, shall be. Aviation...
2: Yeah, and so it shall
1: be. I'm drinking aviation Yeah,
2: i'm it I'm drinking Aviation Gin on the rocks in a honey jar.
1: Not officially so, sponsored uh, yes. by Aviation I'm, Gin.
2: I'm moving <laughs> I'm moving into my old broad phase and I'm Ryan Reynolds myself does... how to like gin.
4: <laughs> Ryan Reynolds does listen to this podcast though. So. Oh my God, really? Uh yeah. Um, isn't that who owns aviation? I don't know who owns aviation. Somebody owns aviation who's famous. Oh, yeah.
2: Promo code, theater, theater.
4: Chris Evans, Ryan Reynolds. Hugh if Jackson. you're looking to... One of just, those the closet uh, superheroes.
1: If you're the man, if you're the manufacturer of, of high, uh, high octane spirits and would like to sponsor a podcast, <laughs> please. Uh, please, we're the one. Please. Yes. Us. Um, all right. That being said, uh, shall we move on to the, uh, um. Uh, Did the, the history portion? The yeah, fine. Uh, the oblique. Well,
4: I, I do. I, I I didn't do a lot of research on sort of his childhood. I kind of picked up on when he started really writing. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm. I I don't really know much about him. So I am interested.
1: Okay. Cool. Um, well, he was born uh, on October seventeenth, nineteen fifteen, in. Uh,
2: not July fourth.
1: No, it's the first playwright we've done not born on the fourth of July. <laughs> the first playwright we've done not to be born on July fourth. Wow. It, it's it's uh, everybody wow, drink. That's everybody amazing. everybody take a drink. Take uh, a shot.
5: Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, hello,
1: that's good,
4: that's good. Uh, he was. Oh, my whiskey's caught in my mic cord. Hold on, all right, go ahead.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he was. (laughs) Uh, he was uh, born in Harlem. Uh, his parents, Augusta and Isadora Miller, uh, were both uh, Polish Jews. Uh, his father had, had. emigrated directly from poland um uh, there, there's many details there but uh he was a journalism major at the university of michigan which i only mildly go blue, right yeah. no fuck that um, <laughs> go blue right scott no my
2: brother and sister-in-law met there um the only blue
1: the only real blue uh, in the big 10 is penn state blue thank you very much gross uh, class nine huh. class yeah huh big 10 all right <laughs> um he was married uh three times uh the second one was uh a young lady you probably heard of named Marilyn Monroe and we'll go into a little bit more of that Marilyn Manson <laughs> that would have been rad that would have been cute <laughs> probably the coolest
4: uh, couple <laughs> of all time
1: um he had four children he had two uh in his first marriage he was married to a woman named uh uh, Mary Grace Slattery uh, they had two children Jane and Robert um, he didn't have any children with Marilyn Monroe um, but with his who by the way
4: looks exactly like his dad
1: Marilyn Monroe looks like his dad what no. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what I said. No,
2: his uh, first son looks a lot like him. Oh, ab- he's kind of like a nerdy version of Arthur Miller. Absolutely, I thought absolutely, Arthur Miller was kind of sexy, to be quite honest. Wow. So- Yo, yeah. I,
4: th- that was a I'll point. Of, I was, I was gonna bring that up later, uh, CJ. Uh, what a fucking hottie
1: he was. Yeah, he yeah. Had, he had that same look as um, uh, Samuel Beckett. Um, that sort of you know professorial you know glasses, you know, pipe hanging from the thing. It was a very very hist-
2: analog, Terry <laughs> Go, to Hey,
1: CJ, uh, you're coming in a
4: little hot there. Uh, if oh. you could close your fucking mouth for me. Oh, would- oh my. <laughs> wow. Jesus
2: Christ.
1: Jesus. Sorry, the um, moonshine's kicking in in a weird way. Uh... <laughs> CJ, I have your back. You know, I'm. I'm an. You I,
2: weren't born an ally. I was
1: not. I've had to work very hard at it. Um, <laughs> I was born one and then I realized quite soon that, yeah, right after, that, that women are the worst. Yeah, oh, awful. No, <laughs> stop it.
4: Happy mother's day, by the
1: way. Um, <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> so um, uh, his, uh, his third wife uh, was a photographer named Inga Morath. Uh, and he mm. had two more children, uh, Rebecca and um, Daniel uh, with him. Um, Rebecca, uh, would go on to become um, Mrs. Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, now That's right. Now, wow. She is now um, Lady Day Lewis officially. She has a title. That's right. Now. And does
4: wow. She pro- does she produce uh, films still, or is that not? She, no,
1: she's, she yeah, she's a pretty active director and. Um,
2: well, and she did that great. She was one that did that great doc that was on HBO. Yeah, right? the,
1: the, yeah. She. It, it's an amazing documentary on HBO um, about or, Arthur Miller. About Arthur Miller. About her dad. Called
4: Arthur Miller, writer.
2: Writer. Which right.
4: uh, you know, when you're when you first click on that, you're like, okay, lazy ass title. Right. Um, and then by the time you finish it, which I recommend everybody check out, it's on HBO. It's really good it mm-hmm. it kind of gives you that explanation is why it's just called that And it's i think the and you know we'll get more into him in his later years in a minute but he his quote i think was um they said what do you want on your gravestone and he said i just wanted to say writer yeah
2: huh yeah and, I, I guess
4: I yeah it was like one of the last interviews on the doc and um and he was in the interviewer was like what okay explain that to me he's like no that's it yeah writer that's what I am that's what I did I wrote a life I wrote a story I wrote you know and I think that's uh speaks to sort of who he was in general
1: right and he uh, there's a great point in the documentary where the all the all the kids are kind of like yeah no he he went in and he wrote every day for eight hours he was a worker Mm -hmm. and if he wasn't Mm -hmm. writing then he was doing projects and all kinds of stuff around the house um his uh interesting note and there's a whole story I think to be told and in, in with it, but just an interesting side note that his um his youngest son daniel uh was born with down syndrome and mm-hmm. and uh this was like early late fifties early sixties, and basically doctors said you need to institutionalize him for any sort of normalcy and mm-hmm. i guess and what i was i found just doing research was. Whereas Inga, his, uh, Daniel's mother, would visit him, um, uh, Arthur Miller couldn't bring himself to do it. It broke his heart too much.
5: Aww. And then
1: it was actually Daniel Day-Lewis um, in the later years uh, as his son-in-law that came to Arthur Miller and was like, go see him, go see him. Um, so I guess yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis- And he started to. Yeah. He started to, to visit him and I guess he's, he's, he's perfectly well, he's independent and he's a happy person and, and all that. Mm. But, um, and
2: if anyone knows anything about loving their son, it's Abraham Lincoln.
1: <laughs> I don't, wow. don't, let's not go down that path. Right? <laughs> um, some other interesting, uh, anecdotes that I didn't know about Arthur Miller. Um, he was an avid Nunchuck, uh, enthusiast and uh, a competitive pickler.
2: I want to see a video of Arthur Miller with nunchucks.
1: <laughs> Did you just say competitive pickler? Yeah, yeah, he worked on... Oh the, my
2: God! Yeah, he, worked he just on gets this, hotter every minute.
1: Yeah, he, he ran the... Um, he, he pickles? That's
2: hot. <laughs> it's really... I, I just want to
1: fuck him so much more now. Um, he, if he, only
2: he scooped out the litter box. He yeah. could
1: he could pickle and do nunchuck katas. Wow. I, I just want Bullshit. that to be fucking true so bad because um, he's just I'm such a badass a... in other in another yeah. ways I was just like yeah of course he did like just watch Arthur Miller with a pipe and the glasses come out just oh my god
2: I think we just wrote the next great American play well
1: there we go it. <laughs> Miller the Pickler <laughs> Miller the Pickler I'm in, You're in. I'm going to
4: write it tonight and send it to you t- tomorrow Yes. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, format
4: um so uh
2: <laughs> sorry, Scott. What, we a, keep trash, what a
4: terrible I mean, trash digression we just
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, and what's funny is that I actually w- I actually wrote in my notes Nunchuck aficionado <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, uh, anyway. Um That's so yeah, he, he basically started writing uh in college. Uh he was a journalism major, uh was writing for the local the local, the, the student newspaper. Um, and then he he started writing, uh, and in, it's in that documentary, uh, he says, he's like, I don't quite know why I chose a drama, uh, you know, uh, to, to to write, but he's like, it just felt like it wasn't what, I, what he had in his head was not prose. What he had in his head was not poetry. It, it was not an essay. It was distinctly, dramatic and it was quote
4: uh i don't remember the exact wording but the quote i think of his is like well just like any artist you come to uh you know a place where you say well i could be a sculptor i could be a painter or i could be a drawer or whatever you know and uh just like that i i said well plays are the ones that feel most right in my hand right 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 right. and i think that's kind of i mean and in a way uh all of us artists sort of have that opportunity to be like, okay, well, which path do I go down as an artist? I know I'm an artist. I know I'm a creator. I know I'm good at these things. Like, which one? And especially in theater, to microcosm it a little bit, just like I want to be a writer, director, actor, and producer. But which one can I really hone into and, and make that my mark? And that's what he did early, and I respect him like a motherfucker for it.
1: Yeah, here, 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 here. Um, so yeah, it was basically a, a series of, of plays, um, that he started writing at college in the late thirties. Um, he, um, was rejected for military service, so he did not serve, uh, in World War II, but you can feel the impact, uh, of that war. Um, probably, you know, and just his awareness and watching it unfold was probably, um, probably one of the biggest things um so that takes us to about 1940 uh and his first broadway play which was uh the man who had all the luck and it uh didn't was not lucky it did not do well <laughs> they did
2: not like it i read that one actually
1: yeah what did you think
2: um well i skimmed I, it but
1: i just i was like yeah ah, i want to get i on. felt
2: like I felt like it was Miller's way of saying, like, live your life well and you'll have everything you need. But I felt like it was more like ode to white man's privilege because it was just this guy (laughs) that from from the day he was born, it just everything happened for him. Everything, every positive thing happened for him. And he was he was a good person. He was nice. But it's like. He wanted to get married to this girl, but her father didn't like her. And what? Next scene, he got hit by a car, so looks like she can get married now. Oh, um, and then kind of everyone around him, um, you see them as his life goes on. You see everyone around him failing because of their foibles or losing, like, the big— His younger brother wants to be a professional baseball player, and that is somewhere in the second act— It's never gonna happen, and it's because their dad has been training him the wrong way the whole time. So yeah, it was just like, look at this guy; he just does everything right. And then at the end, it's like this might not work out for him, but then it works out for him in the end. So yeah, I didn't. It was a long read. No, I listened to that one. I think.
4: Oh, okay. The thing I always associate with that play, and I I know nothing about it. I didn't read it, but is is the failure? I think it's the the idea that like like it almost completely derailed his career that kind of you know and then um the only other thing I know about it is I know that in like I, I maybe I was in high school maybe a little before there was a Broadway revival of it with Chris O'Donnell
1: hmm. ooh, ooh, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Remember, remember when they? Ow. Remember when they tried to make him famous? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he's had a great career. Yeah, I think... I'd take i Chris take Chris O'Donnell's career. Jesus.
2: Was that Robin? He's also yes. yeah. he
4: was he okay. was in the Schumacher movies, but he he also um, is probably a billionaire now. He's on like one of those NCIS shows, mm-hmm. so I guarantee mm-hmm. you he's and he's been on it for like twelve yep. thirty whatever seasons.
2: I guarantee my parents love him. It's
1: him and yeah. LL Cool J, right? <laughs> I've never Something watched like Ice tea. Yeah.
2: Ice Tea is the one I think. Is it no,
1: Ice Tea?
5: tea it like, Ice no, Tea
4: is no, um SVU. S-
2: oh god, you know, one of those crazy true All
4: crime. the all the 80s 90s uh, procedurals that like, are now on procedural.
2: Also But now I'm gross it. because I like true crime and murderers. But also right? <laughs> isn't
4: NCIS um like a spin-off of a spin-off? It's like wasn't it a spin-off of JAG?
1: It is <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's man. like all Navy crimes. I wanna, like I wanna, I want <laughs> I wanna put a bullet in my head for the fact that I know that
5: it's not exactly
1: a spin-off, but it does take okay. place in the same universe. Just like uh, Ch- Cheers, Frasier, and Wings all exist in the same universe. Are you uh-huh. telling
4: me there's a Jag cinematic universe?
1: There's a Jag television universe. Disney I mean, Plus cinem-
2: just bought it. Wow.
1: <laughs> I'll watch it. Honestly. Tom
2: Skerritt's in Jag. <laughs> Next week's episode, oh, Tom is there's, there's, There's
1: a, I think there's a family guy quote where, um, uh, uh, our, uh, w- what's the father in law's name? Mr. Peter Schmidt. Goes to goes to a JAG convention to read NCIS NCIS fan fiction, and (laughs) and they start to they start to boom, and they're like, right branch of the military, wrong investigative branch. Yeah, (laughs) Um, I love that. Yeah, uh, um, I Arthur Miller. (laughs) Everybody, Everybody, Arthur Miller, who (laughs) uh, I don't know, I don't even want to say. it. We got into
4: Peter Schmidt talk. We got oh, uh, wow, on an Arthur Miller. I can't. I'm, okay. Yeah. There we go. Uh,
1: so, so that so the the man who had all the luck happened. It it, it it flopped on Broadway. He wrote another play called The Half Bridge in 1943. That I couldn't find a copy of. Did either of you? Read I couldn't it? either.
2: I I did not see it in my travels, but there were a lot of plays to look for. So right, yeah, and I didn't.
1: Yeah, and there's not a lot like on. He might have just written it and it didn't get a big production. But then we hit 1947 uh, and all of his fortunes change. It was his last attempt. If, he, if this didn't work, he was going to throw it all away and forget being a playwright. Uh, he did a little play called All oh, My Sons. Um, and
4: also the uh, namesake of this episode of the podcast all my pods All
1: my pods ah. yeah. which
4: I, can I are, are are these awesome or horrible this this naming of the episodes Listen, um, last, yeah it's both? It, okay. it's
1: gloriously awful it's but podcast
4: like Osage county <laughs> <I have> a, <laughs> yes all my pods all my pods I like it, I like I'm it. Keep it going. no yeah okay yeah. fuck it
1: no no it's a uh, it's it's we're going to make it a thing Okay. Um, so All My Sons, um, written in 1946, Debed uh, on Broadway in 1947. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was directed by Elia Kazan, um, oh, probably, so uh, probably one of the uh, most controversial figures, um, and his relationship with Arthur Miller would get crazy over the years, and yes. we will, we'll dig into that uh, a little bit later. Um, Ed Bagley was in that movie, uh, Father of Ed Bagley Jr. I love for those of you who care. Oh, that's right. That's um, right. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, and Ed Bagley Ed won an Oscar. Ooh, now I can't remember what for. Early 60s. Um, Oscar.
4: Sweet Bird of Youth, I think. Yes,
1: you are correct. Yes. Uh, but um, uh, Carl Molden was in uh, that um, that All My Sons production. Um, it won the Tony yeah. Award for Best uh, Direction of a Play uh, Tony Award for Best Author I, don't, I think they've changed the name of the Tonys yeah. now But um, anyway I think it's
4: Is it Best Play right now? Or
1: is it I think it's just Best Play is what they call it Best then. Play, yeah it's, Also it's,
4: it's, I think
1: you're right
2: Also in All My Sons Yeah Tom Scarrett
1: Well, not in the original <laughs> It's Tom Skerritt <laughs> Yep
2: <laughs> I tried, it wasn't that funny Tom, I was with you
1: Tom
4: Skerritt had a hell of a career Three <laughs> and, uh, people are laughing really hard Right? <laughs> <at home.
2: laughs> They're all moms yeah, that's
4: fine uh, Tom,
1: Tom Skerritt plays the cop in Harold and Maude And he looks like he's 12 years that's old right. That's
2: right,
5: right sure. <laughs>
1: um, But um, Yeah, so basically uh, All My Sons is loosely based on a true story um, Which Arthur Miller's then mother-in-law uh, pointed out um, from an Ohio, uh, she had read an Ohio newspaper article um, and basically described how um, uh, the Wright Aeronautical Corporation um, had conspired with Army in- inspection officers during the war to approve defective aircraft engines uh, destined for military use. And then the um, how that old scandal got involved uh did you
4: guys ever read this one in in, uh, high school or
1: anything i i did not but i did a production of it at the local uh community college when i was in high school um yeah i played uh i prayed i prayed i played frank luby the uh the neighbor um in that um and it was it was a great experience because i was in high school and there were some local actors who were who were pretty good who were Oh cool. Um, who were doing it. So like as I I reread it and then I listened to um uh an audio version of it. Um and so a lot of it came sort of streaming back to me and I'm like I, it's funny cuz that the part I was playing I was backstage a lot. So I remember just a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. Um but man, I felt that it zipped along. Like just even in reading it, I'm like man, like there's some high stakes um scenarios put forth right at the beginning when when um when what's her name when ann shows up um uh, and and it's like the mom's all obsessed with her not forgetting about larry right like like it like that happens like on page six like it just (laughs) happens so early on and immediately from that point on there's just this in in, and i think that man I, i i would almost love to direct this i think because the tension in every single moment, every single moment got something going on. Somebody knows something. um, The revelation towards the end that um, the, uh, the Dr. Uh, Bayless, the neighbor that he's been aware of the whole, that the old man was guilty the whole time kind of thing and how Mm -hmm. you can play that throughout you know, I just, um, I think, and, It's also, there's also a lot of juicy parts in it. So like, for example, not to get too far ahead of ourselves and shut me off if if I get too rambly. Um, But for example, I think that one of the reasons you see a lot of productions of of this play being done and being done pretty recently is- Oh yeah. Is because it, it is a great ensemble. There's six or seven really great parts in this play. Unlike Death of a Salesman, which I think- I think Death of a Salesman falls into that same category as Hamlet or Lear. Like you're not going to start a production uh, of Death of a Salesman until you have some notion of who, who your Willy Loman's going to be. You know what I mean? Like you're not going right. to, ju- you're just not, you're not going to hold auditions. You're going to have a pretty right. good idea of, of who that's going to be.
2: Right. I, I got to say, I'd never read this play before, but I I know I'd seen a lot of people, a lot of like lounge theater, just did it last year. Um, i know a lot of people are doing it i always seem to see the poster up i gotta say reading the other ones though i just i don't understand why they're not doing i mean certainly they're they're doing the crucible a lot view from the bridge like there are so many that work now to me more so than this one because i was telling scott that like my thing is is the whole idea of like the rich guy feeling bad about it and killing himself over it in the end to me that just doesn't that doesn't compute with this day and age. Now totally. they just get away with as much as they can.
1: Yeah, I think it's yeah. Uh, I think it's notoriety. i
4: I've... go
1: ahead. I'm sorry. I, I was just going to Pro- say. Yeah, I think. I think agreed. it's because it's notoriety. I don't. I don't think a lot of people know a lot of other than sort of those big four. All my sons: Death of a Salesman, um, uh, uh, The Crucible those are the ones that everybody knows maybe. Oh, crucible.
2: Maybe uh, maybe
1: a view from a bridge. Yeah. But, um, mm -hmm. but beyond that, I don't think that those, you know, especially as time goes on, I don't think people, uh, just are aware of it. Unfortunately, sadly.
2: Um,
1: Hey guys, why don't we take,
2: can I read my favorite, my favorite line from this show? Yeah, please do. I wish. I'm going to just read my favorite line from the show. Super fast. Okay. Uh, Today, a doctor could make a million dollars if he could figure out a way to bring a boy into the world without a trigger finger.
1: That is, uh, that is an interesting quote. That's an interesting quote.
2: <laughs> that was the one that stuck with me.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's loaded. Read it loaded. for me one more
4: time. I want to hear it one more time. Say it one more time, Siege.
2: One more time. Today, a doctor could make a million dollars if he could figure out a way to bring a boy into the world without a trigger finger. Mm. We, would like finger.
1: <laughs> we would just use our middle I feel like I need to go
2: into the Midwest and say that.
1: We would just use our middle fingers.
2: <laughs>
4: yeah, it, it, it's one of those that whenever I, I, um, I see it on a poster or on a... Uh, uh you, you know where you know social media whatever it may be i do i have to be completely honest there's that little eye roll
3: you know mm. yeah there's that like oh, and this i know
4: reading it because i don't know that i had read it until this time that i read it yeah like i hadn't read it um that i know of ever uh, i had seen it a few times and every time all, all at either um uh community theaters or colleges i haven't seen a high school production but there was there was this just uh i remember a bunch of kids when i was living in kansas city went to ku to see their production of it and it was this woman who had come in from beijing and she had put up the beijing revival of it that had gotten like all these great reviews in chinese I i didn't get to see it but i just remember everybody talking about it I think so. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I think it was in Chinese. Um, and the, the, the thing everybody was talking about was, um, that she had a full plane, uh, hanging over the set the entire time. Wow. And as the play went on, the plane would break down more That sounds more.
2: dangerous. So what like expensive. every,
4: so like every, um, you know, scene would come back up and the, and the, um, plane would be more broken right and I was Ah. like that's such a cool concept for this play but I had never read it so I didn't really know what what the idea was and now reading it for the first time I think I like actually reading the script of it I I I was reading it with that idea in mind even though I hadn't seen it Mm -hmm. and I was like that's a really cool way to do this show Mm -hmm. all the other ways all the ways that I've ever seen it are just so two-dimensional and so... Because it's so easy to take Miller for what he is, like, uh, you know, face value and just plop his script on stage with actors. It's very easy to just do that. Um, I think there's a lot of playwrights who are like that where it's easy to just be like, oh, it's Chekhov, let's just go do it. Or like Pinter, like, let's just do the play. And it's like, no, there's, there's... there's, uh, you know, idiosyncrasy. Secrecy- oh, guys. <laughs> the <shine>. Uh drinky <laughs> <laughs> drink. You know, drink. Things that you have to, um, like, really... Also, Go.
2: with shows like this, too, I kind of feel like these old shows that have been done millions and millions of times, kind of the same as Shakespeare, even though Shakespeare's much older, obviously. But it's like, mm-hmm. if you're going to do these, you need to have a good idea. Yeah. Like, mm. it needs to stand out as opposed to, like, that was a really great production of All My Sons. I feel like you need to have a good viewpoint or idea or something for yeah, it to and make I don't, it stand I don't need out. You to
4: exactly I don't need you to like fully conceptualize it and to, and make and set it in the void and you know and change the <laughs> decade like, I don't need any of that right but I think but I think if you're gonna do it you need to exactly CJ you need to set up a new foundation for it because if we're just telling the same story over and over again then you know without a new voice then what's what's the point right yeah yeah. Um. And I think this is one of those shows that I used to roll my eyes out a lot. And now that, I, now that I've read it, I actually, and really took it in as like, a, as a theater maker and like somebody who could potentially be a part of a production of this someday, mm-hmm. it's good. He knows what he's doing. He's a good, he's a good character writer. He's a good dialogist.
1: He really is. And you know, know, the, the thing it's that- It's not my uh, favorite. No, it, I, I, and I totally understand, I can totally understand why it, it, it wouldn't be your favorite. It sh- I think that what struck me about it and what I think still resonates is this, this notion that he had of challenging the American dream. In other words, the idealism of the time is the problem. The, the fault is the idealism that, that that idea of the American dream of, that, of, of achieving that success is the end all be all. Uh, and as we will see, and as we talk about death of a salesman, I mean that's the the central thesis. But what struck what strikes me right. now, after having done the research on this one, is also his intellectual understanding of drama. And I guess there's a few um, forewords and essays that he does on for some of his later collections that I need to seek out and, and find, where he really sort of has a, a, a laser precision grasping of the drama. So you can see like the Ibsen influences, um, in this, I think like, what was it? Um, yeah.
5: yeah.
1: The wild duck. You can see the wild duck, the idea of these two business guys and one of them's going to take the fault for the other one and how that ricochets and ripples throughout their families and their lives and everything else. So, mm-hmm. um, um, yeah,
4: I honestly probably wouldn't put all my sons in my top five Millers. Um, but it is it what I really meant was uh, when you read it, you can't really deny it's one of those it's and it, it, it makes sense that this is what sort of got him his big, like legit start mm-hmm. as like, a you know, um, someone people respected because it he's He just kind of proves it here, and it's not my favorite. I don't love it. It doesn't ring true to me, maybe it's a decade thing, maybe it's a, a masculinity thing. I don't know, but when I read it there it doesn't click for me, but you can't deny you know he's got a he's got it's, an artful hand
2: when you think about it too like nineteen forty seven I mean lining that up with the end of the world with the end of World War two and how idealized. America as a country was and its businessmen uh-huh. and, and the boom that happened after that to kind of have this, I, okay, now I'm changing my mind about it, to kind of have this <laughs> this other view come out <laughs> of like, yeah, there were some shitty things going on and bad people making money off of other people's suffering. And that was also a reality of World War II. Yeah.
4: yeah. And a reality um, of today. And a reality Ba-ba-ba. of today.
1: Like, like, a, like a motherfucker. Um,
2: well, let's,
4: you know, I mean, all my sons... <laughs> well my sons is one of those shows that i feel like you know everybody has some kind of relationship with whatever let's get off of it it's a good one uh-huh. it's you know it's a for the time that it was it was done great shit um but what what did he do next i don't even know i'm
1: oh he did, a little, he did a little play called death of a salesman in 1949 no big deal i've never heard of it it's heard of that one. um it's so I don't want to go. Yeah, I've never heard of that one. So uh, I, that is our spotlight for the day.
3: though.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't want to spend ding, a lot. Li-
2: ding, li- ding. Um,
1: I had read this play, uh, reread it about a year and a half ago, maybe, um, in preparation for a play that I directed that CJ was my assistant director on, mm-hmm. um, called Lear Loman, which was about.
2: I had all the good ideas.
1: It's totally true. Um, uh, which was about Willie Loman <laughs> and King Lear in in Purgatory. Um, so i I was reading that with a very specific looking at Willie Loman kind of eye on it. Um, when I sat down this time to reread it because I was like, I should just I need to reread this play. Um, as, especially after I had done some production research and like looked at that or if you looked at that original set from the Broadway Ilya Kazan directed it's astounding mm-hmm. like it is astoundingly yep. gorgeous like um, and and very theatrical and very theatrical of its time that almost a little bit ahead of its time like you don't start really seeing that kind of stuff until the 50s and stuff like that uh so it was a little bit ahead of its time in that sense and it struck me like it really did by the time it was done and i've seen one production of it that was okay um again i i just don't know why you do this play Mm -hmm. without having your willie Loman first um i think you have to cast around that and find an actor that's that's ready for it um, but it's just, wh- wh- how did you guys react to it on your reread? Who are
4: some of the great, great Lomans? Uh, Lee Cobb is one I can think of. Uh, he was the original. Uh-huh. The one
2: I saw was Brian Dennehy.
4: Oh, I'm so jealous. So jealous. Brian Dennehy.
2: I saw him in 2005 on London West End. And it's the, we had 10 pound, um, like restricted view seats. We went last minute and I cried for a half hour after that show was done. I've never had something strike me that hard. Especially Did Death you? of a Salesman.
4: Yeah, it's such an interesting casting too, to go from Denehee to Hoffman, I think was the next revival, right? In eighty-five.
2: Yeah. Well, he uh, no, was in oh, ninety-nine. Oh, oh. Oh, right. And right. then he was Hoffman in,
4: was, yeah.
2: Yeah. Hoffman was like, that man, was the, the Tony Award winning cast, I believe, in nineteen
1: ninety nine. It uh um... So I, I think that its claim to fame is that it has won the most Tonys for best revival of a play. Um, I think it's won, yeah. won that three times. We're forgetting about Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, no, uh, I want to talk
4: about that. I want to talk about the Philip Seymour Hoffman bit real quick. because Yeah, because I, I – Not only was that uh, directed by – Mike Nichols. Well, it was directed by Mike Nichols, okay, and who is like – one of my top three directors of all time
5: uh, yeah. in, terms
4: of mu- uh, in terms of movies and and theater i think he's just uh the birdcage the graduate he's mm-hmm. just it never ends um and so i just feel like um he won best he won tony uh, the tony for best director for that but and except for i think it got one other tony maybe it didn't win any of its other nominations And, um, which was interesting, but this is the year, this is a crazy year for, um, lead actor, uh, Tonys. Okay. This is the year that James Corden won. Okay. Hmm. Now, if James Uh Corden doesn't win this Tony, he is not the James Corden that we know today, in my opinion. Okay. Uh Like if, if James Corden doesn't win this Tony, there is, there is no James, James Corden late night show. Um, because he beats, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Frank Langella. What? uh, There's someone else. Yes. Uh, Who is the other? There's another one, and it's insane. The list is like completely crazy. Um, James Corden B. Oh, oh, oh! James Earl Jones for The Best Man.
2: Oh, my God.
4: Frank Langella for um, uh, I think it's Man and Boy. And then John Lithgow. For the columnist, okay? what <laughs> and 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 then you have Philip Seymour Hoffman as Willie Loman, murderers right? row, murderers row of of the top actors of all time, almost you could say, mm-hmm. like like truly like the fact that these five men live at the same time is insane. So the fact that they're all up against each other and Philip Seymour Hoffman, this is two years before he dies, okay, a year and a half before he dies, is up for Willie Loman, which by the way. Funny story. I'm a huge Philip Seymour Hoffman fan. Yeah, his first role in high school that made him realize he wanted to be an actor, Willie Loman. All right, in high school. In high school, he gets seen. <laughs> he gets seen as Willie Loman by some like <laughs> Shakespeare uh, recruiter in New York, whatever, and they hire him to be a, a, a um, sword. I mean, excuse me, a, a, a spear carrier. In something because they saw him in in Loman, and then I think he did it one more time, um, wow. like in his younger years, just like at a small uh, theater, and then he did it as like sort of one his big final goodbye performance, and he loses to James Corden, who I've heard was absolutely incredible, phenomenal. In um, uh, was it two Governors? What was it?
1: Yeah, two Governors. No idea. Yeah, it was Two Governors.
4: Uh, one Gentleman, Two Governors, or whatever it's called. Uh, um, and it's one man, two governors. And it's um, it's just such a weird, interesting year because it also, there's that part of me that wonders, did it have any type of effect on, I mean, I know Philip Seymour Hoffman was a very um, disturbed individual and there were many reasons for what happened, but I just wonder if this was one of those sort of final nails in the coffin of like self-worth for Hoffman, things like that. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but I know that that was a huge deal to him to be playing that role on Broadway. And I know that it was, it was this huge passion between he and Nichols. And I don't know that winning a Tony is something that's that Hoffman held in the highest regard of all time, but there's just, there's that part of me that wonders, I don't know. And then there's this alternate universe where like Corden doesn't exist as a famous person and like, wow. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Interesting. That's my uh that's my Yeah, right only thing to say about that. Um
2: I just but... work... Go ahead, Bailey, finish. No, I got nothing. I got nothing. Oh, I was gonna well, make a bad joke. Make that bad joke. I love bad no, jokes. It's,
4: it's gone now. It's gone. Okay, fine, gone. I ruined it. Okay.
2: <laughs> um no, I just uh working on this uh play with working on Lear Loman with Scott last year. Um, it was one of those things where it's like I haven't I haven't read this play in 15 years, so I reread it last year. And the thing that, you know, I mean, this is a play that everyone's always like, oh, poor Willie Loman, poor Willie Loman. And the thing that I would love to see this show done 100% truthfully. I want the director and the actor playing Willie Loman to know a lot about dementia and Alzheimer's. And, and that that is, I I personally feel that this is something that he is slipping into in this show. I mean, like, it was interesting listening to Arthur Miller talk about it because he was like, to him, it was surrealism. It wasn't that he thought Willie was in some kind of throes of some kind of mental deterioration. Right. It was him reminiscing and going back to the good old days. But to me, it's like, I would love to see this show done honestly with, with um, mental health involved and also just like how he treats his wife the whole time and how he speaks to her the whole time and then the whole thing of her kind of being complicit with this in the end never sitting him down and saying willie what's going on we need to talk about this
4: well so and- that that brings me to my question guys mm-hmm. do you, do you like willie loman i don't
2: i, I, <sighs> I mean, don't in the time no i don't cj no doesn't go ahead scott
1: yeah i was going to say i um it's not about liking him. It's about understanding, for me anyway, um, how the American dream, how the idea of that idealism, um, creates a trap, and creates um, a, a cycle, a, a prison, if you will, for 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 him that he that he gets trapped in. Um, and that he's wrong about what he values. He values popularity and money. And that's yeah. isn't that the American problem? Yeah. That, look at what we have right now in the White House, with all due respect, not to get too political about it, but we have somebody who's absolutely fixated on fame and money. Arthur Miller in 1949 is telling us, this, is, this isn't the way we want to go. And I think what he was recognizing was it's right. we we had just we we had just saved the world and he was resisting the um overt pride, <laughs> the pride before the fall, if you will, that he was seeing build build itself up in America at the detriment of of any women, of any people of color, of anybody else. Like I don't I don't even think that he looks at Willie as mm, I think he looks at him as a full person, and there's moments of of real humanity in it. But um, yeah, I I think that the genius of, of it was that it, it. So I guess I disagree with with you, CJ, respectfully. That I think that the genius was that he he absolutely mm-hmm. didn't look at it as as real as a realistic play. That it wasn't realism. That the the idea of mm-hmm. of 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 memory, the idea of fantasy the idea of misconceived m- memories and moments in time um those fragments add up and build up and build up you know i think he ultimately i think the sacrifice at the end says something but even that's flawed because his obsession is oh i'll leave i'll leave the 20 grand to biff biff's gonna have this money now now will be and now if you can just do the popular thing, then that's all you need for success. While meanwhile, the next door neighbor, Charlie, is just a hardworking good human being. He's built up his own stuff just by being a yeah. sort of diligent, hardworking person. End rant.
2: <gasps> yeah, well, and the other thing I wanted to say on that, and I mean it's obviously Arthur Miller wasn't writing about this, but now that you read it and people are more out about being upset about things now is I just, to me, it's all toxic masculinity too. Because to me, like, Willie is... Happy is a repeat of who Willie was when he was a kid. He and his brother were always vying for their father's attention. It was his brother that ended up going out and going to Alaska and doing all these like crazy adventurous things. He ended up being the big man, the big tough guy, the adventurer. And Willie was Willie was working day in and day out to eventually get to this job that wants nothing to do with him because he's too old and he doesn't get it anymore. And I I would suggest that maybe that is who Happy is going to be in the Death of a Salesman prequel or sequel. <laughs> um,
5: Birth yeah. of a Salesman.
2: Yeah. Well, and I... Uh,
4: Resurrection of a Salesman.
2: <laughs> Resurrection. Oh, my God. Resurrection and death again of a Salesman. Oh, I have a funny... S- I saw... Of a, salesman. a couple years ago, I saw uh, Co- South Coast Rep did death of a salesman and it was um, the family was an african american family mm. and it was a very good it was a good production but my f- the f- this is horrible that i'm laughing about it but when i was walking out of the theater that night i was standing behind these two girls everyone was slowly filing out of the theater and one of them goes it was so sad i didn't expect that and i was like it's in the What's title name <laughs> in the <play>? yeah <laughs>
1: It is it's, I think that's actually
4: cool what you bring up though CJ is that this play could be cast with anybody this yeah. play could be cast with absolutely anyone and I, I, I and which is so interesting especially for him because obviously he's Polish Jewish he's he's got the yiddish kind of you know thing and there, it, that doesn't show itself in this play you can choose to play it that way you can choose to read Loam in that way but mm-hmm. he doesn't have to be he can be anything it's all american family quote unquote right and that definition has definitely changed since since that time. Um, and I, I wanted to speak to the toxic masculinity thing that you were talking about, CJ, which is just, I, this is something I'm really passionate about. I took this class in college called Men and Masculinities. And it is, it was one of those classes where, obviously, they're talking about societally, you know, how men Are the way they are and why they are and sort of sort of justifying all of it But um, I I mean, okay, obviously men don't need a lot of standing up for right now Mm -hmm. But societally, I think we have really fucked ourselves and and you know Because men represent power and blah 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 blah, and it, it creates a delusion of life being a competition, right? Which is sort of what this whole play is about but the biggest thing that struck me with this play is is the Biff arc which is and whether it was brought on by Willie or brought on by Biff himself is, is, a, is a different conversation. But adult adolescence is something we talked a lot about in Men and Masculinities. And it's this idea that, like, and it, that changes over time, but that as you get older, the more and more society coddles sort of uh, their youth or, like, parents coddle their kids, it, mm-hmm. it creates more of this adult adolescence. So, mm. Biff is 35 mm-hmm. in the present day of Death of a Salesman, which to them is an is like crazy that he doesn't have a career and a pursuit. And they're just like, what? That's insane. But actually now, and this is just true, I know so many 35-year-olds who have no aim and have no, you know, and who are still living at home and who are, mm-hmm. you know, and it's and it's because we've as a society have started allowing that more. It used to be that adolescents sort of ended when you were 18 right or 20 and now i would argue that it ends when you're like 33 or so you know like it's sort of like if
2: then <laughs> if
4: then <laughs> yeah i mean there are definitely people who take it way further than that but i think
2: listen I- do we want to start talking about my dating life
4: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm sure you are, have a endless list of tools uh, yeah right
1: <laughs> dear that lord dear lord no
4: that was what hit but that but that is what hit me most is that it was just it's sort of like if we keep propagating the teaching of you as a man must uphold these truths that you are powerful that you are successful that you are liked and those are that that your worth is only as much as is given to you by other people that is sort of I think what gets down to the 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 ground of the the ultimate foundation of what is wrong with the masculinity problem. It's yes, we're, we're teaching the, the gender roles, which is a huge part of this. Um, We're teaching all that, but it's, it it comes down to purely that this idea that like life is a competition. You have to win at it. You have to be better than others and you as a man have that ability to do that because you're a man. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's like, well, that's fucking bullshit. First of all, Here's a hot take. What do you guys think of this? Biff is gay. Yeah,
1: okay. You got, um, I can I see mean, that. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what do you it, think? it would be a bold choice. It would be a really interesting choice. And uh, yeah, I kind of want just segueing just a little bit in, tor- in terms of Arthur Miller and women. At the beginning of the show, I talked about that I felt like he was very much a, a an artist of his place and time and as time goes on he doesn't adapt too terribly well um i think he continues to write well and has thoughtful ideas sure. i don't it, it's very uh, first of all both linda and um um uh, what's your name from um um uh, uh, kate kate and all my sons are both very complicit in a lot of ways and I just wanted to get you guys. your Yes, absolutely. I wanted to get both of your feedback on, uh, like uh, you can feel the patriarchy, (laughs) American patriarchy in his writing. I don't think that he's misogynistic. I think he's patriarchal, which I think uh, there's a distinction there. But I think that there's also times where he. Well, I think he's. Go ahead.
4: Well, I just, I think he, I think it's, it's sort of, um, one, he's a product of the time, right? He, he, so there's that little part of you that kind of has to forgive everything with these, I mean, not everything, but there's that part of you that's like, he's a product of his time. He's writing for that generation. Right. But then also I would argue, especially in salesmen, that he's sort of writing about that, and the conversation become it, it, it's too it's too um, it's a fork in the road, right? There's there's two sort of paths we can go down. The, there's one question of is he writing fully well rounded, like smart, legitimate female characters? No. But then the other path to me is like is he writing like dishrag women who do exist in this world who uphold the patriarchy and make it. I'm not saying that uh, this is a bold thing for me to be saying but I'm just saying that like I I think in a way especially in salesmen he is sort of commenting on that right and 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 sort of saying like look like there are women who who think that their place is to be complicit and to just sort of and complacent and just sort of nod their head yeah they all voted for Trump Right. Well, sure. <laughs> we can take it that, down that, that road all day. Not yeah, to get political. Yeah. Um, we're all conservative here. It's fine. Um, the, the thing to me is, is just like the ultimate um, point of all of this is that, and what I was kind of saying before, is that men, especially in America, and the whole world, honestly, let's be straight up in society have have – a pressure on them that has been created and there's it doesn't necessarily mean that now in 2020 we need to be telling that story still but you know especially with women who aren't fully realized but I think especially for the time that it was it the way that the women are rent, written is part of the comment if that makes sense maybe I'm wrong
2: I know I agree with you and I think um going kind of both on what you were you and Scott were saying was um I mean it's kind of then i i mean with with feminism with the me too generate with all that stuff that's happened i mean it's right to be mad and speak up and bring those things up but then the next thing i think that we as women have to consider that we have to keep encouraging one another on is that stuff is still going to happen you you have the right to step up and say this isn't right or stop that or Willie, I know you've been trying to kill yourself. What's going on? Because that's also that generational thing too. I mean, my my grandparents are like that, even my parents are like that, where we don't talk about anything uncomfortable. In fact, it doesn't even exist. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
5: yeah. That's
4: yeah, a very yeah, Midwest yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, um, and also Southern thing. I, I, I know we said that last time, CJ, that we both kind of have these Midwestern upbringings, but I think there's um there's a truth to that where you don't say everything and it's it's all kind of swept under the rug and um August Osage County, you know, obviously had a lot of that in it from from last episode, but there's there's this idea of well if we just don't talk about it, then maybe we don't have to deal with it. You so don't go we just away. smile through it and we repress it and we feel good about it. It'll and then go things away. happen
2: like like unbeknownst siblings having sex with one another or your yeah. husband killing himself and wrecking your car, you know? I mean this is what That's happens right. when you don't talk about hard subjects.
1: Yeah, right. incest. And I, my family all is, is an uh,
4: huge uh it... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Now, my my family doesn't have any incest problems that I know of, but they yet. do definitely yet. Um but they de- <laughs> god. But they definitely do um yet. have that problem with none of them will ever listen to this so I feel comfortable saying this. But they they, they just, <laughs> god, <laughs> Um but there's just that that part of me that feels like if you don't speak out the things that are happening, if you, if you don't, if you're unable to swallow that pride and swallow that hubris and, and sit down and look each other in the eye and be able to tell each other how you actually feel, then you're not, this is a bold thing to say, but to me, that's like against the definition of family. Like family is, mm-hmm. are the people that you are able to fully be vulnerable with and open yourself up to completely. And if you can't do that with somebody, then like, to me, that's just, it's just the opposite of that. And it's something I'm really fighting with my family right now is I'm trying to really be open and like say the things and have them do the same, but it's hard. It's a, it's yeah. a tough thing. And I know everybody deals with that with their families. And I wanted to say this, I think Willie Loman sucks. As an actor, I wanna play him really badly. I think he's one of the best written characters of all time as a, as a human. I think he sucks. I think dads suck. I think, I think <laughs> he's written as a sucky dad and I like it.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I mean- I, Everyone,
2: I mean, go get therapy right now. Uh,
1: <sighs> CJ. Um.
2: <laughs> listen, I started going to therapy because of the podcasts I listen to, so. Hey guys,
4: fuck therapy.
2: Hey! <laughs> Who are you, Willie Lohman? That's
1: actually um, a
4: Christopher Durang play, uh, who will be covering. Yes, thank in, like, you.
1: Uh, so, wow. After
2: Tom Skerritt. Yeah.
1: Tom Skerritt's not a writer.
4: Or no, it's called oh. Beyond Therapy. Fuck Therapy was something we did at Infos a couple of years
1: ago. The Tom Skerritt. <laughs> <Scare> <laughs> Your obsession with Tom Skerritt's going to kill us all. Well, do you think
4: we can- invoke tom scarrett like six more times today <laughs> i don't yes, know i you know out. what I, you know what i i think at I least think six uh, more invocations
1: i think we've uh we've <laughs> probably reached the end of the death of a salesman bit um why don't we take a quick break um why don't we take a quick cool. break and uh play uh play our featured song of the week by miss pamela quinn P Q.
3: I saw her, she was dancing with the devil, I saw her, she was climbing out of hell, will you save me, will you save me from her grip? I don't wanna get lost in her trip, I saw him, he was talking to the shadows, I saw him, He was speaking languages that I don't know And I froze in his gaze I don't want to be trapped in his maze Protect the ones you love from lies The lies I told to keep them alive And kill the ones who danced in the fire
1: And that was Pamela Quinn. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Pamela oh, Quinn. I love it.
1: That's so good. Uh, so good. Oh, so good. My hands on. Sorry, guys.
5: So good. Uh,
1: Incredible. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know uh, if there's much more to really go into about. Um,
4: nah, we can get off the salesman dick. It was fun to ride for a minute, but let's move on. It was
1: a on. good
2: dick. It was
1: a, a good, good dick. Uh, it was a good what dick. was his
2: next place, Scott? What was his next place?
1: Uh, it was just a little, uh, well, hold on. Um, hold on. Just a little play. Oh. Little play a play. something. Some, some, some. Hamlet. Uh, well, he did. Um, after death of a salesman, he did. Um, uh, his version of Ibsen's Enemy of the People, which yeah. I have never read, but I would love to. Have either of you read that one? No, I have not. Because I think. No, no, no. What? No. You. Said I haven't no, read the no, no, Ibsen no, no, one no. either. Oh, I like the Ibsen one.
2: I got to read that one,
1: Bailey. You don't like it. Oh, I don't know anything
4: about it. I didn't even oh. I don't even I don't even know that Ibsen play. Enemy the
1: of oh. the people? Oh wow. Oh yeah, you need you need we'll do Ibsen soon enough, so fuck it. Um oh. <laughs> but so he followed Winky that Winky Wink
5: Wink. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he followed up uh Death of a Salesman um with his next uh, little uh little uh tome called the Cruckable. The cro- uh, <laughs> well, uh the Crockable oh, uh, the Crucible. Um, <laughs> it is a good one, and I really, really enjoyed um, uh, uh, reading it again. I, d- I did. I, I was. I mean, I'm fascinated by the the time anyway, and of course the subject matter of the play and and all that. But I found it uh, in this reading, and maybe this just comes with age. I just found. More nuance beyond um you know witches and screaming and, and yelling and all that, I thought that the the relationship between the proctors really resonated for me in, uh-huh. in 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 just a very personal way. I felt like it was a very very personal relationship this time um and um hey, this play is filled with goodies okay. ha ah, get it
2: Good.
4: get Good it. One. Goody Proctor, Goody Bullshit, is,
1: Goody Warren.
2: Goodies, uh... Goody Bullshit. Goody Bullshit was my favorite character in the play.
1: <laughs> Well-written, fully rounded, yeah. Um, of course, yeah. you know, the basic thrust here is that uh, uh, the Salem Witch Trials are acting as a an, an allegory for McCarthy. Joseph McCarthy in the House on Un-American Activities and, and all that stuff, and... Um, this would be the the breaking uh, of his relationship with Ilya Kazan, uh, I- Ilya Kazan named names and it haunted him for the rest of his life and, and career. Um, he
2: wanted to work, he said. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah and um, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, um, yeah, it made its uh, debut at the Martin Beck Theater on January 22nd, 1953. Who was the original
4: John Proctor? Uh,
1: the original, I don't know if I got that one. Hold on. I didn't even check it out. Um, E.G. Marshall. Is that right? Um, it looks like it was E.G. Marshall. Um, I could be wrong. Um, I don't know. <clears throat> who's Google guy? Is, who's I can person? Google it. Hold yeah, on. Google guy. Um, I'm really slow, but I'll figure it out. Yeah, you know. <laughs>
4: yeah, OG OG John Proctor. Let's see. Oh, this is a this is a great cast. Um. Proctor, 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 Proctor. Proctor. Tichuba, Sam Paris. Ooh, Sam Par- Paris is a is a role, man. I want to. Oh that. yeah, oh uh, yeah. Uh yeah. Arthur Kennedy. Arthur. Oh, Kennedy. oh
1: oh Right on. Cool. Who yeah, had just makes...
4: been in um. Uh, one of. Miller's other plays. Oh, all my sons!
1: I think yeah, it was all my sons, my sons. Right. Um, But it won. Uh, it, 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 the initial production was not very successful. It was a little shaky, and the in, the initial reaction to it wasn't great. Uh, but like less than a year later, I think um, there was a another production, and it kind of became the 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 lightning rod, and and it was a hit, and that's why yeah. it became. The Crucible, um, but it did win the Tony Award for Best Play and yeah. um, and all that. Um, and it got
4: a bunch of. There's a bunch of revival Tonys. There's uh, oh god, yeah, two thousand two. Uh, Liam Neeson, Laura Linney, which is yes. exciting. Uh, I would love to see Liam Neeson play John Proctor. He's the perfect um, John Proctor in my head. It's got a nice little cast. He is. Kristen Bell is in it. Oh uh, wow! Just like a cool little. Uh, list Where of was clues. that done? And then we have a 2016. I know uh, that was 2002 Broadway revival. It won a bunch of Tonys. Um. Uh I actually, I I'll double check this, but I think Laura Linney might have gotten a
2: Tony for that
4: for Elizabeth Proctor. Sure. Proctor.
2: Scott, who's Scott, has issues with sure. Laura Linney.
4: I don't know that they have have <laughs> an opinion on Laura Lenny so that's interesting
2: she's just not it's one of my favorites
4: I,
1: I, 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 like I don't want to yeah. I'm not disparaging anybody in a public <laughs> forum um, and I'm about to start Ozark and <laughs> oh, yeah she's on
5: that
1: uh, I'm about to start Ozark and everybody says that my opinion of her will change I just she doesn't light my fire oh. is all I I, um, I don't know why we need to digress on uh, digress on this <laughs> but like I see I you know what it is? I, I cannot falter for being a fantastic technical actress. I just very often see the lines, if that makes any sense. I see the work. Um and yep. sometimes I have seen that it's from- just
2: like what's his name? Go ahead, yeah. Scott. It's just like what's his name in um uh all the new Harry Potter movies and he played Marius in Le Miz. Oh, um, uh, and from theory of everything, yeah. Uh,
4: Eddie Redmayne, yes. Blech. Ugh. <laughs> what are no. acting actor's acting actor, actor, actor. I, I like, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I he wears an acting hat. It's one of those things where it's like, I exactly what you're saying, what your opinion on Laura Lenny, which I don't know that I fully agree with, I don't know that I've seen enough Laura Lenny to say, but she like he or he to me wears a hat like all of a sudden he's acting and he's his character and he has to and it's just like all right man yeah you're doing the thing we get it we get it we get it it. thank you eddie you acted and you are acting i don't know if he did go to acting school
2: i don't i I just has the look he
1: he was a model i think he started off as a model which might be what yeah he was like (laughs) Yeah, like super he's, hot he's so, so totally pouty, he's so pouty called it poutiness and stuff <laughs> um i really loved him though in the the um the marilyn monroe movie with michelle williams as marilyn monroe um uh, my date with marilyn is that what it's called yeah i did i did like him in that although i think she's she's Does someone play nice.
4: arthur miller in that
5: movie
1: Does no. That no no he's but they're person. um no, but if you watch the um, the new FX show Devs, um, yeah. there is um, there is a really graphic, um, jaw dropping uh, Marilyn Monroe Arthur Miller bang scene, uh, which it. is which is something to be- behold. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking
5: of
4: speaking of uh, Arthur Miller in pop culture, uh, I watched Molly's Game. Uh, maybe oh. three days ago, which is uh, a favorite movie that I kind of revisit now and then, and it like re it becomes a favorite again, sort of every time I rediscover it. It's a phenomenal film. Uh, check it out if you haven't seen it. But um, Chestain's best performance, in my opinion, oh. um, and um, they there's sort of this thematic motif of bringing up the Crucible throughout the whole thing and talking about uh, names, yeah, yeah, to yeah, talking yeah, about. Yeah sort of like what your name means in this world and, 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 and your clout and your uh, uh, um, sort of reputation and whatnot. And she literally quotes, I think at one point, she says like, because it is my name. Because mm-hmm. it's all I have in this life or whatever yeah, what yeah, right? yeah yeah and it's and I was just like, how perfect that I'm watching this movie right now and this is the framing device for this movie um, which is phenomenal. I wanted to bring this up 2016 Broadway Revival cast because this is awesome. This is a really cool cast. Um Ben Wishaw, who I love, is mm. John Proctor. Mm-hmm. Interesting choice because he's not your like man's man, like I built my own house kind of person. Right. And especially right. for the last one to have been Liam. Oh you know, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. So interesting. Um uh and then we have uh Shirsa as Abigail, which oh, is crazy.
1: Awesome. I would have paid the, so much. To would see that would have been yeah,
4: hot. Because also I bet their sexual chemistry <laughs> is
1: Ex sexual. Yeah, I um, want to touch it. I wanna touch it. <laughs> um <laughs> I think you know I think that there's so much eye rolling when you talk about the crucible, like uh, the crucible. Um, because so many has been so many bad high school productions of it, and unfortunately too many people have probably only been exposed to bad high school productions of it. I was in a bad high school. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I, and, um, and you, and I I remember very clearly reading it in, in high school and more as a point of, uh, of its connection historically to what was going on. But I think it's just a hell of a play. I've seen one really good production of it at a university that i just thought was exquisite done in the round like it just was rad um and when it's done well i mean it's electrifying it's horrifying it is it gets under your skin i, 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 I want to punch people in it so bad um yeah. and um
4: i think it's one of the best
2: yeah.
1: uh
4: american plays of all time there we go
2: i act- I nope. actually have a confession to make about the Crucible. Oh, Confess, dip. until until, Confess <laughs> until this happened, until this podcast happened, <sighs> I, had this I had never read or watched this play once.
5: Good, that's such a yeah, cool a
2: great context. Enough.
4: Yeah, that's so, such a cool context. All but right.
2: I knew, you know, I knew what it was about, and I knew, I knew why it was written, and what it's being used for, and why people are doing it again, especially now. Yeah, and. So, uh this is my plug for the day. Uh because a lot of the Arthur Miller plays, a lot of them that I got through I listened to and LA Theater Works has mm. done a ton of amazing readings. Mm. So I listened to The Crucible, and I know I know that it's supposed to be about McCarthyism and all that shit, but the thing that struck me the most about this play is this is this is a historical thing that's happened hundreds of years ago that we read about in history books and it's so far removed that I personally have never been in touch with, in touch with the emotionality, and how horrible it was, and to hear really good at Richard Dreyfus was in this cast, oh, hear wow. really good actors, you know, perform what was going on at that time, and yeah. you're hearing women being pulled away from their husbands, yeah. and and because it is
4: my name, them. because it yeah. is all I have, it's it's all. I have yeah yeah driver. i just that's my as
2: before. oh <laughs> he uh i i just uh, that's what really got to me was just like oh my god this was such a that's horrible like what was happening and so like i was just really emotionally wrapped up in the story just listening to it
1: oh yeah and there's so many brilliantly constructed moments of tension the the um uh, uh, can can you recite all ten commandments, John Proctor? And oh my you're, God, you're just like <sighs> my palms are sweaty. Like just reading the fucking thing, I'm like it's like, it's adultery, bro. It? It's adultery. It's you're missing adultery. Is there vomit bro. on
4: your. <laughs> Uh, sweater already
1: yeah i mean a little bit. was it your mom's spaghetti <laughs> it was my mom's spaghetti and I had, you, I had... <laughs> you only get one shot but
4: on the surface were you calm and ready
1: yeah, and yeah, yeah. Drop bombs? i mean the irony is is but that he gets uh he gets two shots forgetting. in the, in that in that movie uh...
2: <laughs> i had i had two favorite Thanks quotes from this show
5: oh
1: hit us
2: uh, the first one was. But
4: the words won't come out. Stop nope. it.
2: <laughs> the first one was, we were only what we always were.
5: Mm, yeah.
2: <laughs> and then this one, and it immediately made me think of Scott, was what? cleave to no faith when faith brings blood.
1: Say that again.
2: Cleave to no faith when faith brings blood.
1: Mm. Yeah,
4: that's, that's a good one. <laughs> if it brings me to my knees, it's a bad religion. You know, uh, Frank and
1: Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> um, Christ, but yeah, I and I, I find, like I said, I'm I'm so interested in in McCarthyism, and I think that that's because um, I don't know if you guys remember, but like in the '90s with the rise of Fox News and all that shit, late '90s, there became this sort of Bill O'Reilly Hannity. Um, a, a t- attempt to re- axis of douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> the axis of douchebags is the quote of the show. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, it was an axis of douchebags, and what they were really attempting to do was reframe McCarthyism as was he. He wasn't the bad guy. What he was trying to do was yeah, you know, like trying to defend it in some way, which is you know even more evil the idea that that the us government would attack arrest and infiltrate and spy on a group of american citizens getting into rooms and having conversations and sharing ideas is the most terrifying fucking thing i've ever heard in my life and
4: right. i mean uh, alexa I'm kidding. Stop
1: it. I know. Well, <laughs> yes, but that's big business, and that's that. That gets big into a big brother. Different, that's well. That's socialism. Elizabeth George wrong, Orwell. Wrong. Next episode well, uh, <laughs> is on George Orwell. <laughs> no, it's Tom Skerritt. <laughs> but oh, well, right. be, but um we'll get into uh, incident Vichy here in a second, but he, you know uh, no man should be a slave to big business is a line from that show. I mean, he's, he's seeing it. And you know, the irony is, is that um, Arthur Miller, by that, by the point that by the time that he was brought in and, and, and was forced to testify, um, he'd already kind of rejected communism as a whole because he didn't see room for the individual uh, within it mm-hmm. that there that, that needs, that, that, you know, you, like most sensible people, there are ideas that can be extracted from, uh, you know, social, de- you know, democracy that can, you know, uh, be applied. So there were ideas that he like that he was definitely drawn to, but had rejected it roundly. And most of them had, there were a few, you know, there was a few like, you know, Clifford Odets and, you know, Paula Strasberg and, and, who Lillian Hellman, they were all communists and they were part of the communist party, but um, it it was almost purely intellectual. It wasn't necessarily regarded by a lot of them as, you know, an active thing. They were, they were writers and artists. The the action was going to be taken somewhere else. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, it it, it remains his uh, Arthur Miller's most produced work um, is the crucible um which isn't it's is not surprising it's not surprising because it's a huge cast with a lot of meaty roles like even some of those s- smaller roles like you know I'd love to get in there and try and do some of that um but um so I think that's why it endures but it also endures because it's a brilliant allegory um yeah, okay. about a very scary time and um
4: can I give you guys a little bit of context uh for Little Bailey and the Crucible Little Bailey
1: in um, the Gruesome. Yeah,
4: so I'm, ai as a kid, uh, I think one of the first, like, darker things I sort of got into, or more occult things I got into, not that I'm, like, super into that, but I am, you know, I listen to uh, a lot of true crime podcasts and whatnot, right, CJ? So Me too. Yeah, so it's sort of, like, um, one of the first things I was int- introduced to was the idea of the Salem Witch Trial, and I, like, really latched onto that as an idea. It was very scary to me. Mm. And there was a made-for-TV movie, which I've never found. I'm sure I just need to dig deeper, but there's a made-for-TV movie starring Kirstie Alley.
5: <laughs> and
4: about <laughs> Sorry. about the Salem Witch Trials, but this is full, like, the these men are seeing the ghosts of the women they, they uh, hang. Ooh. And... I took it as a kid it was like pretty scary but I also I, I don't know how old I am I'm like you know 11 maybe ten and I um, now watch it yes Aren't this like today I'm been <laughs> years old uh, at- at the time I was three. Uh, no, I was I was 11 years old or so, and I think, and I it would play a lot. I think it was maybe ABC, or it was made for TV movie. And every time it would come on, I would like make sure to watch it. So then yeah. when we had to read it in school, uh, the teacher who assigned it was a te- one of those teachers I had a crush on, you know? Mm-hmm. So she was like, and she'll never listen to this in a million years, so it doesn't even matter, but she is like, her name was Mrs. Kepsel, and she was like truly, um one of the she was an fbi agent and very funny and very smart but also like very very serious and very dry um Mm -hmm. but when she was funny she was funny you know and then she was just one of those women that you just wanted to learn from but also like wanted to kiss a little bit um and (laughs) and so um when she assigned it in her class, I always, I just devoured any book that she assigned. I remember I read like The Aeneid that year because I was just like, yes, because she assigned (laughs) that. Teachers, Pat. Yeah, I, I, well, and I was never like that for anything but English classes, right? And then in high school, I was was not that for anything, but in middle school, I was very much this. So I, um, I read The Crucible and it was one of the first plays I ever read where I was like, oh, I love reading plays. And I realized it's because I could say, ooh, I, w- I would play this character, in this case it was Proctor, I would be this character, and then I would read it out loud as if I was the character. And this is before I ever knew I wanted to be an actor or Right. Like so it was just sort of like me doing it. And I would get it so, I did it with, um, Streetcar as well and it was just I would get them so in my brain that I could like ace the tests any pop quiz any homework My essays were fire like anything I had to do on the plays was incredible, but then they give me like a fat novel and I would just, uh, I would like, to do it. and like, I'd read it, but I'd be like, eh, okay, and like, you know, I'd, like, like not know anything once the
2: little Bailey came J Bay, baby J Bay, baby J
4: Bay Bay. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he then was cast as Danforth in uh, Judge Danforth, who is still one of my favorite uh, characters yeah. in the, in the show. Uh, in my senior year, and I was so. I'm going to be straight up. I was so like senioritis out and like not (laughs) like not like paying attention to anything that I had written my lines on parchment.
1: And (laughs) was straight
4: up. You motherfucker.
2: You motherfucker. And
4: I, except for when I had to leave the desk. So, which was a lot. And so I knew my, like, oh,
1: I knew my, are you stone monologue and things like that.
4: Like, I knew those very well. And, you know, you can oh see your, like, your third grade teachers in the audience and she's bawling and you're a senior and you're just like, yes, I'm the greatest actor of all time. And it, that's how it very much felt. But then when I was sitting in the in the seat, I was, I was reading, I was reading my lines. And it was really How dare you? But okay. I, I don't feel bad. The guy who played Proctor knew his lines Probably less than I did. So oh. I don't feel Was he good. a well. football
2: player or something?
4: He, he was. Aha! <laughs> I was. called it. But, but I mean, he was an actor. He was, you know, he, that's what he wanted to do. Um, went to film school and whatnot. But he, yeah, he was not. It was not a good production. Uh, there was, I want to say this, uh, and I, I feel bad for anyone from that production that might listen to this it was bad top to bottom every single person every single part of it one yeah. of the worst things of all time
1: <laughs> it's a hard that, That's that, that, that 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 it's just too dense for high school kid it, it's a perfect play for a high school drama teacher to want to do because yep. you you can fill out a whole bunch of kids and put them in it but it, it it's just too too, too, too dense, and I really sure
4: there were two other high schools that were doing it at the same time <laughs> because it was this whole like battle of like ours is better, no ours is better. It's like well we'll never know because nobody could ever go to all of them. Right. Uh, but the other thing is uh, it's it, it it is a good show to learn about in high school. I feel like when you're a seventh oh, grader yeah. and they give it to you, it's like yeah this is great for learning about McCarthyism and communism and uh, and the the Red Scare and all the things. And it's just like but. And and in a way to to learn about the Salem witch trials and and just hypocrisy and just and and the patriarchy and the power of of, of um, fear and all the all that good stuff which is everything that this play is about blah 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 the crueble
1: pa-
2: patriarch patriar- say. oh go ahead. Go patriarchy what? <laughs> no, I want to
4: hear about the patriarch.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now I've lost it. I've lost it. You interrupt. All
2: right. I love. How many movie. jokes are you going to um, kill
1: today, Siege? I don't know. That's
2: my job. That's. Uh, um,
1: I'm
4: going to take a swig of moonshine. You go ahead. This, and
2: talk. this, this play, and and Arthur Miller's whole thing, uh, with with McCarthyism and all that bullshit. It's something that always makes me feel good about being an actor and an artist. Is like. The government is always threatened by us, and I just, I just love it because, like in high school, it was like it was always like weird if you wanted to do this kind of shit. But like, actually, everyone in charge is the most scared of artists. Oh yeah, just oh yeah, dig that.
1: Yeah, make make them afraid. That's what I say.
2: We have the power.
1: We have the power. uh, that, that, rise hitting me. Um, are we, Oh, uh, shall we, uh, segue from, uh, the cruckable?
4: Yes. Yeah. Let's move on from the Crackable. Cause now I'm thinking about He-Man and it's a whole thing. <laughs> um, um, so he followed the Crackable?
1: Well, he follows it up, uh, in 1955 with, um, a view from the bridge, which I had not read nor seen until, uh, I went to prep for this. Um, I read it and then listened to a great audio version uh, with Ed O'Neill as uh, as Eddie. Um,
2: Harry man, Hamlin was in there. And Harry
1: Hamlin was in it. My and, first crush. And Mary uh, Mary Mary McDonald is that it? Mm-hmm. Um, is Harry um,
4: Hamlin the one that's married to the housewife?
2: Lisa Rinna.
4: Yes, I just great. watched the
2: shit out of that show the whole last season. I've on been- Snatch Game
4: this this year on on RuPaul's Drag Race, someone was her and just kept saying his name over and over again. My God,
2: I gotta watch it. It was so funny. Anyway, Harry Hamlin, my Harry <laughs> Hamlin is Perseus from Clash of the Titans.
1: <laughs> me too. Me too. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah.
1: I will not have Harry Hamlin in this house. <laughs> um, <laughs> another Family Guy reference. I gotta. I got out my game. Um, <laughs> so, references of
4: references of references. Right. Uh,
1: but a view from a bridge, man. And um, I just, I found it electrifying. I felt that there was a, a different uh, step, a different um, uh, vibe from his writing of the play. It felt f- like a far more intimate play even then like smaller stuff, like all my sons, it's, it's a more intimate play. And it was, um, you know, very much kind of in response to, um, to Ilya Kazan, he sent Ilya Kazan because they had had their huge falling out over the, um, uh, the testimony during the thing. So he sent uh, a copy of a view from a, uh, for of a view from a bridge to, Ilya, to Kazan and Kazan, Responded with uh, going hey hey do you want me to direct this like you know is the, are things cool and he's like no I only sent you the script to let you know what I think of stool pigeons and I was like oh <laughs> it's like man yeah. but um man I felt that that was a tragic character whose obsessions pull him into making just a horrific um a horrific error not an error what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, and ab- he abandons his own principles because of his own obsession, um, his obsession with the the the, the, niece. the niece, the niece, and Ooh. oof, yeah, that's Catherine. creepy in and of itself. And then, um, um, but just to the, that he can't let it go, that he can't recognize it, that he's going to violate this the the very core of what he believes in, uh, and bring harm to these two people because. Uh, because of a stupid girl. No, I don't mean like that, but you know what I mean, like yeah, you, you know that that unhealthy obsession. Yeah,
2: stupid girls. I get it.
1: <laughs> but I just here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, um, I
2: um, go ahead, Scott. I don't want. No, to I was actually
1: going to hand it off to you because I wanted wanted to hear your thoughts on it.
2: I have a not very Bailey's.
1: Spe-
5: I have <laughs> not Fuck this. Take player. a
2: seat. Um <laughs> Um, I have a very specific memory of this play because my freshman year of Webster University Conservati- Conservatory go Gorlocks. Um Gore-locks? Yes, yes. It was a created That's the mascot sound that makes. at my <laughs> yes.
1: It was it's, a created
2: mascot. Up- it was because Webster University was so a school and we're artists, so we got to make a I say we, it wasn't me. Uh, they made up their own mascot. So it's kind of like a wolf mixed with the St. Bernard wearing a big t shirt with a W on it. It didn't matter. I'm
4: in. I'm good. sold. I
2: and think that's the, rad. The women's teams were good, but
1: <laughs> it just reminds me of uh, the human being from Community. Do you guys ever watch Community? Yeah, exactly. The worst cre- mascot the, ever the worst mascot ever. It's just the human being. And it's a just dude a guy in, in a white suit. In a white, like you know, full on skin like skin suit. suit. It was <laughs> With exactly- like marker
4: painted on as a face.
1: Uh I'm gonna it was
2: exactly like uh, that. Can
1: can is there a place where I can submit Gorlock fan fiction? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'd read well- it next
2: episode we'll talk about it erotic Um, fan
1: fiction anyway siege tell tell us us
5: how you feel
2: about this freshman year freshman year we for our second semester we were made to take a text analysis class Mm -hmm. which i was completely clueless my freshman year of conservatory because i just they were changing my view of acting and what it meant and what i had to do completely so i just spent a year of college being confused and crying all All the time. There's nothing. what's
1: changed.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Zinger. uh, 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 (laughs) We had to read View from the Bridge, and then we had a teacher that walked us through, like, this is how you do text analysis. And I remember doing, like, and it was always a thing where unfortunately all of us would leave it till the last minute. We'd, We'd gather in the library, we'd drink espresso drinks all night, and stay up until class the next day writing these like 10 to 20 page papers that was text analysis and i handed it in for the show and got it back and like the top of the paper said you clearly didn't get what this assignment was about." <laughs> and I, I was just like i'm gonna get kicked out of conservatory mm. and i stood in front of his desk crying telling him that i was gonna try harder but that was view from the bridge anyway uh well so can was- i say
4: something about i'm sorry to digress but can i say something about script analysis classes that's super quick Yes. When I went to Hogwarts uh, School of Witchcraft and Wizardry um, Uh to get my first degree in theater, I uh, with Beatty Pettigrew, I um, learned (laughs) (laughs) I learned so much uh, and I had a script analysis teacher named Tim Noble who is uh, uh, I stand a legend. uh, Incredible uh, actor and uh, person, human being, teacher and he made you excited to read the scripts and then you'd come in and we'd sit in a circle and we'd fucking talk to each other about it and we'd like dissect and get into it kind of like what we're doing now and then i went to get my bfa at a state school and uh, i'm not gonna name it but uh, uh um basically it was like a slideshow presentation of like uh, this is script analysis and this they made me retake it because apparently it didn't count from Hogwarts because uh, wizarding mm-hmm. credits don't transfer right so plus it was like, a
2: British school
4: right British school wizarding uh, <laughs> things like this uh, they just don't transfer correctly so they they made me retake it and this teacher just would put up every day this the whole semester just put up uh powerpoints and would just walk us through like this is how you analyze a script and then we would have to read scripts and write papers on them but did we ever get to die? Discuss them really? No. did get to really I mean there was days of it like where it was like, okay, discuss, but there was no leading of it. So it just felt uh, moot. Um so that's all I have to say about script fucking analysis class. Yeah.
2: I just didn't understand so many things about anything until I was out of college. That's sure. where that class was hard for me. Uh, but anyway, so that was the first time I read the play. And I just now revisited it for this and listened to the LA theater works, uh, presentation of it. And this is another one of Miller's plays that I don't know why people aren't doing it more often Mm -hmm. because between between politics and, and the emotionality around immigration right now. Mm -hmm. And also the me too movement, the whole idea of women being property. Like I just, it, it's amazing. It melds two enormous ideas, and I don't know why people aren't doing it more often. To be yeah. quite honest,
1: right? And and the other thing that uh, that struck me too, going back to this this patriarchy thing and this idea of Miller being uh, of his time, this sort of um, I mean, beyond the 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 sexual obsession in the play, the uh, infantilizing of. Of women that he keeps yeah. coming back to, and um, um, you know the, he, the, he uses the phrase "little girl" a lot. Your little yeah. girl a lot, uh, yeah. Well, which is super creepy now, and probably wasn't as creepy in 1955, but.
2: Right, and to be fair, there's a lot of these plays, and this is the one that comes to mind, but there's quite a few of them where it's like a young woman walks in the room and some guy says, you're cuter, great legs, come sit on my lap. Yeah. Like, that happens a lot in yeah. Arthur Miller. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, A View from a Bridge, I, I mean, I think it is due um, a lot more viewings. I mean, it's it seems to be roughly the peak out of him and by the peak out i mean <laughs> my my central thesis for arthur miller is that he's <laughs> of his place in time uh and even in that wonderful documentary about him his kids sort of talk about that you know as the 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 60s start to roll on he he struggles to sort of find his voice in 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 that sort of changing environment which i just i I found Mm. fascinating because he never stopped writing but his stuff became less resonant um yeah and there's a there's
5: a couple i have an idea about that that too
1: go ahead siege what's your idea
2: well well i mean we can get to we can get to it more as we get to different shows okay cool yeah (laughs)
1: Okay. What, what were you saying, Bailey? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you.
4: No, I was just saying. Uh, I feel like he. Um, there's a couple here and there in his later work that I'm like, oh, I like that one, but it's not. But you're absolutely right, and especially in terms of reception, they just. I. Uh, he's falling off. He's falling off. Are
1: yeah. you? Is there a frog? Are you on video? Turn off your video.
4: Is there a video? Why is there a video? Don't
1: video oh, no, I'm me. seeing I'm seeing weird shadowy things moving. Ugh,
2: it, it God could, damn. It
1: could also be the rye. So to be fair, <laughs> is it ruining my audio? <laughs> no, no, no. No, no, no. It doesn't affect your audio at all. Now, just no. does not want to see your face. So I still sound like an angel. Perfect. Yes. So <laughs> mm, don't, <laughs> don't, okay um anyway so, uh, so go
4: ahead so what's after a view from the so French?
1: a view from a bridge is 1955 um after that is a memory of two mondays which uh, i'm not familiar with
4: all i know uh, about that is that actually a view from the bridge was originally uh, originally released as the uh one act before memory of two
1: mondays. uh that's right uh, yes um then um then he doesn't write for a little while. Um and that seems to be primarily because well, he doesn't write plays for a little while. Um so that's 1955. Uh by this time he's um his marriage is 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 ending. He is um marrying Marilyn Monroe. Um he's enduring all of the craziness. He also, by the way, is convicted of um um whatchamacallit? Um
2: Oh, communism
1: a, no it's it, um there's a specific thing um that he was convicted of and then it was overturned because they basically brought him into the house on un-american activities committee to oh test it was, the, um contempt contempt for congress and contempt yeah. against congress yes thank you um, he did sorry. a
2: couple screenplays in this time in between his that and Well, his- yeah,
1: I mean most notably The Misfits which he wrote right. for Marilyn Monroe and um, as sort of
4: a a, way, a like a vehicle for her to do a role where she was actually taken seriously right yes. where she yeah.
2: was just playing yeah. the blonde
1: bimbo, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, she was and a little
2: it, centerfold lady.
1: Yeah, it's uh you know John Houston directed it. It was Clark Gable's last movie. Mm-hmm. Um and um if you haven't seen it it, it it's, it, it's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination, but it's it is, it, it's an interesting watch. And it, it I, it's um, become more interesting to me as I've gotten a little bit older, but I think it's just those same, you know, that sort of philosophical brain of his, he had, he, he was great with allegory. He was great with being able to, use symbolism use character to express very specific um uh intellectual ideas which uh brings us um uh, well kind of t- the next big play he writes is um after the fall which is basically after Marilyn's death um Two after years. their after their marriage had dissolved and um that's i i i glanced through it but i haven't ever read it and i've never seen a production of it it was not well received it was pretty viciously attacked and it's the first time that you see the word misogyny used against him yeah. um in an analysis by a male by a, a, a male critic but um who just found the 60s no less
2: 1964
1: (laughs) well i mean at least at least the the word feminism is now (laughs) at least semi-popular or at least semi-recognized but
4: well and um, and generally i think a lot of the critics were starting to this is where it began to downslope where a lot of people are just being like oh he's pretentious oh it's too easy it's lazy it's you know and things like that but this is his most personal play this is this is him. This is him actually having to dive into his own shit and his own psyche, something I don't think he had really done before. And I think that's the flaw of the play. Right. I think the flaw of the play is his inability to, to
1: remove to, himself
4: from it, remove himself and to fully circulize. It's sort of like Sam Shepard in Cowboy Mouth, which is literally mm. about he and <laughs> Patty Smith. He could do and Do it. Yeah, exactly. He did not even get up and do it opening night because he was like, "Oh, it's too real, it's too fucking real." And it's like, yeah, of course <laughs> yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Like you wrote a play about your heroin then. Like, what did you think was gonna happen?
1: I mean, yeah. I think that every great writer probably needs to go down that path at some point. Do sure. you know what I mean? Like, I'm I'm not mad at him for trying to unveil himself, but then you know. Um, just some of the- well,
4: whereas, like, Simon wrote every play about himself or his right, dad or right. his right. best friend or his, you know, it's to just a so point, that Miller you know, didn't really, yeah. But
1: yeah, but doesn't go, you know, isn't really to rip himself open so much. I think that the problem with what I know of after the fall is that he doesn't, uh, he doesn't truly allow himself the self-analysis Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there's a great interview with him, uh, I think they use some footage from it in the documentary, but there was a great interview with him in the 90s, early 90s, maybe on 60 Minutes with Arthur Miller, and they get him to talk about Marilyn Monroe. And you can see that it still haunted him at that point, 30 years later. Um, He loved her they connected in 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 a heavy way and i don't think he was ever really able to negotiate that you know psychologically yeah yeah. yeah
2: yeah i felt i mean i feel like one of the i think one of the main reasons why people were uncomfortable with it was they just felt like he was putting his relationship with her out there publicly i this was another one that i listened to it was another la theater works one um, and there's- Shout sh- out to
4: LA theater where- Yeah, all LA right. theater,
2: they, they do- Check out their really, podcast. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it wasn't a podcast. I found them all on Perlego actually, or Scribbit. I can't remember. They what have what a podcast,
4: too. it's great. They yeah. do? Well- Yeah, it's fantastic. And,
2: I mean, it's, it's, the play is about all three of his, and I don't know if they're specifically the three women that he married in his life, but they're about three of his, this guy, this lawyer, and his three relationships with these different women. I, I don't know. This is a sidebar. It's not important. I don't know um, how faithful Arthur Miller was to all of his wives, but in this, it kind of suggests that like he cheated on all of them. And uh, this, this lawyer guy did. And the thing that struck me, I mean, I understand why people would feel very uncomfortable because there's a lot of scenes where you're watching him, particularly with the quote unquote Marilyn character. She is a drunk pill-infused mess. Mm.
5: And he mm. is
2: trying to talk to her about put down, give me the pills, give me the pills, don't do this, don't do this and them fighting and then him ultimately saying, I'm getting out of here and then her saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, here take my pills. God. And There's so- a part of
4: me that believes that maybe that these are episodes that maybe happened but it's, but for this to be the way that you portray someone who's so obviously who they are in right, that well, way is just right.
2: I think as a woman, and and just I mean, I'm not saying that people did this to me personally, but you know, Marilyn Monroe has always been idealized as, as this like, of course, this heroine of like feminine beauty and sexuality and this idol and blah blah blah. But I mean, the the truth of the matter is, and it unfortunately is like that with a lot of women of that area era. The first person I'm thinking of is um, Judy Garland, yep. but like the truth of the matter is is even though she was beautiful and this sex symbol and everyone wanted to be her and be with her she was so desperately insecure and she just that's what she was grappling with this whole time and that's i mean other than the fact all of her abuse issues she had when she was younger clear into her her adult life with Plenty of her other adult relationships. Yeah. And for me as a woman, it's just like this whole thing of like, you can be beautiful and famous and, and quote unquote, perfect and have all the money in the world. But (laughs) chances are those people have even big, bigger problems than you yourself have.
5: Oh yeah. And, um,
2: I actually, I had two, I had other good one liners from this show. Um, one was, um, we are very dangerous and then um the other one was not seeing one's own evil there's power and rightness too
5: uh-huh. mm. and i thought that
2: was because this show got a little bit into the red scare a little bit as well but it was way more about his relationships and kind of how right
1: they yeah. were messed up yeah yeah um not to backtrack next play no go ahead I was—I was just going to backtrack real quick, um, going back to the one-liner thing we we skipped over during um, a view from the bridge, which was um, m- yeah, most people aren't people. <laughs> it was a line that Eddie right. says, and it's Ooh, yeah. yeah, I remember oh, that one.
2: <laughs> oh man, it's just
1: like what, like, and it's just a toss-off line, but it's not. It's it's because it, mm-hmm. it happens pretty early in the play, and it's him being overprotective of her going going out and, and, you know, having a fun time as a young woman should. And and he, and he just does he, he he doesn't trust himself. It's not about anybody else. He just doesn't trust himself.
4: Yeah.
5: The um, one last, the one last thing
2: I have to say about the show, the thing that struck me and it makes me wonder if this is how his and Marilyn Monroe's relationship started. There's a scene between the two of them and the reason why she feels so connected by him. And she continually says over and over in the, in the show, I bless your name. I bless you. I bless you. It was because he was one of the first men that encountered her and didn't immediately want to take her to bed.
1: Right. Like they, they have, treated they her
2: like a person.
1: Yeah. They had a, I mean, it was a long courtship. It was a long relationship friendship before, Cause he didn't want to cheat on his wife or so that's, you know, his yeah. public statement about it, um, you know, until it, you know, and, and yeah. So it, it grew, it, it manifested over, over a few years, I think. It wasn't, you know, just they met and then they got married a few years later. That I think he life.
4: reflects this in, with a line in the Misfits but I, there's a part in the documentary where he says, like I told her one time she was uh, the saddest uh, person that I had ever met. Mm. Yeah. And and, and I, I and she loved it. And he said I and he, I loved that she took the compliment for what I meant it.
5: Yes. Aww. And I was like,
4: that's incredible. They like got that's, each they other. got each other. They, they just got did. each other. And yeah, and I think it, you know, it was probably really hard on him to watch somebody be so Sad and self-hating. Well, it's also that situation
2: where you love somebody so much, and there is nothing that you can do to help them. Absolutely, it has to be from within themselves. Absolutely, that's kind of what I got out of that play. To be honest, right on, right on. It's
4: it's a play that's unfinished, in my opinion. But his next play, here we go. Before we start, like just because I think the rest of them, there's not a whole ton to like get into. I think we can kind of just like rocket them off. But this one, unless you guys have anything to say about it, this one is one that I'd really love to produce sometime in Ooh, this era. Yeah,
2: yes. I,
4: guys, I had never even heard of this play. I had I, never I, even
1: heard of this. Play. I, I had vaguely I had, heard of it. I had recognized it as as part of his uh, as the, part of the Arthur Miller canon, but not. Man, and it knocked me out, dude. It knocked it me, yeah. out. me the fuck out. I truly,
4: like, I was reading it, and I was like, I was like, this is, actually, I was listening to it, CJ. I was like, oh, this is a good yes, one to listen to. Yes, listening to, Let's to check it, it out. does it, yes. And I was, you know, sometimes I I can't handle listening to plays. Like, sometimes it, I, I it's not my thing. But for this one, I was like, this is easy. I was doing other stuff. I was doing dishes, and I put it on, and I was just like, this is... Incredible! I have to find a production of it, and I went on Broadway HD, and there is a production of it. Oh, really? so I, wa- I watched it,
1: and it is <gasps> send me the link. Send me the link.
4: Absolutely, you guys can use my Broadway HD. In fact, all listeners, here is my no, um, <laughs> my it is. If you have the means, check out Broadway HD. Get the free trial, whatever. It is so good. It is worth it for this performance. It not every single actor is like blowing you away, but it's phenomenal and what i took away from it was um one this play needs to be done right now
2: Agreed. right now right and, now <laughs> and
4: two to sort of battle the fact that it yes it is like nine white men on stage right um i i think well you know uh some of them are polish some of them are jewish some of them are austrian whatever but they're all you know seemingly uh white men i think a really cool take and nobody can take this i'm 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 putting my fucking trademark stamp on it right now. Copyright. All the things. <laughs> I think it'd be so cool to see a colorblind, uh, um, genderblind casting of this show. Absolutely. And you don't cut any of the words. You don't change any of the wording. You just fully go with this idea of like Jewish as the other. Mm-hmm. And uh-huh. you just you just play with it completely. I love this play. There are some lines. I mean, you heard at the beginning, there's that monologue. And there's like four of them that hit just as hard as that. I haven't read a play in the I would say it surprised me as much as this one.
2: Right on. And I, I will say
4: sorry, my last thing about it so sorry, is that I think it's a little on the nose at times. And I but I think the reason I think that is because it's kind of been replicated so many other times. Yeah. And so absolutely. now it's 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 sort of old, you know. For me, but I'm like, oh, it's because this is, this is the beginning of that kind of conversation. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I love it.
1: Now it it, uh, it it just bowled me over. A, we should say a little bit about what it's about. It's it takes place in <laughs> Vichy. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no. It, it takes place in Vichy, France. Uh, France. I had to say it like that. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Uh, I hate myself. Um, but, um, and it's basically just a room. It's not a police station. We don't quite know where it is. Um, and it's it's uh, men being round up um, by I knocking. have
2: a tiny historical addition to this. I believe that this- Vichy was a place that like Jews were going because it was safe there for yeah. a while.
1: Yeah, right. they talk about that- the, So that's the,
2: why they're there in the first place.
1: Yeah, they think they're safe because the French police are actually in charge of the streets still uh, and not the Nazis. But as the play goes on, you realize all, all the French police are all- are all in on it, and they're basically just being questioned. Their papers are being checked. They're being, you know, sn- sniffed out, and and you know the Jews are being sent to Auschwitz, and and oh. it's terrifying. And it builds. It's first of all, there's no act break. It's a brilliant like 120. So like, good. And and also when I, they
4: drop the bomb of Auschwitz, it like hit me so hard it, because yeah. the way they do it is so casual. He's like, he's like, oh, these things are happening. It's bad. It's bad. And then this guy goes. What are you talking about? My my friend. Uh, my he's friend's is right now. Yeah, he, he they he's, he's, yeah, he's learning how
1: to build well, and bricks. Well, and also and... like
2: Germans Germans love art. They would never do this. Yeah. They would never. Oh, yeah.
4: that line that line bowled me over. Oh man. Okay, he says he gives this whole thing about he played Cyrano, and it was beautiful yep. and it's and then he says uh and and they've had these other conversations about art and then he says um the, the audience that clapped for me, that gave me that standing ovation, they could not want to kill a Jew. They they <laughs> they saw the beauty that I created. And then, of course, the Austrian man comes in and said, who gave the monologue from the beginning of this episode, he comes in with his other monologue about this oboist. And this oboist who played the most beautiful thing ever and then SS came in and they watched him play and they let him finish his song before they killed him. Oh, and, and And the line is like, In fact, they waited to kill him at his most beautiful. And that is why I believe that they can do anything inconceivable. You know, and it's just like, it lifts you to shreds.
1: It it does. Uh, And well, and then the monologue from the scene at the top of this episode, you know, uh, in talking about Hitler, they adored him. They adored him. Like, you're just like, like, and it was like, (laughs) can we show people this right now? Like how easy, but how easy it was to slip into, into it. And I think that what knocked me out the most was it's a, it's a culmination of all those things that Arthur Miller has done. Well, He, he, he takes characters. He creates fully rounded character, people, human beings uh infuses them with a very specific ideology and or philosophy and then so you have you have the Jewish marxist you have you know you you you've got the, the the gypsy um you've got you've got the um the austrian nobleman you've got and and they're all playing like they're all just flipped out so the tension from the moment is from the moment the play starts is just exhilarating yeah. and and there's just Like, here, uh, I've got a couple lines I want to share because I just, they just blew me away. I have a couple
2: as well when you're Uh, done. uh,
1: uh, We're members of history. You can't take it personally. I just found that, I just found that like, what? Um, They can't torture the future, (laughs) it's out of their hands. Uh, And then man was not meant to be uh, a slave of big business. Like, these are all resonating right now, right here, right now, Um, you know, and. I and just,
2: I have three others from that. That's how. Hit us, hit us, hit us. So uh, one was, if you love your country, why is it necessary to hate other countries? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is kind mm-hmm. of personally how I feel right now. Right. Yeah. I have always felt. Um, next one, you get tired of believing the truth. You get tired of seeing things clearly.
5: Yes. Um,
2: and then the other one. Uh oh, every nation has condemned somebody because of his race.
1: Yes. Well, and yeah, then and then, and then and then he yeah he gets a real pointed jab in at america cuz so, so we're in 1964 the civil rights movement is just just starting um you know the play takes place in 1942 43 and you know he's like look at look at how the americans te- uh, treat the the negroes like and, ah. and and you're just like oh shit like he's yeah it's, um, there's some
4: good jabs in there, yeah. Man, I, great. Actually, one of the best parts of the whole thing is, uh, like you said before, there's the Romani man who they refer to as the gypsy, which actually now is a very considered like uh, um, offensive term, derogatory, right? yeah, yeah, derogatory, and 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 it's 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 what you would call like a low class Romani citizen who mm-hmm. uh, would have to to thief to to stay alive, but they wouldn't necessarily, and you could still call them a gypsy just because you're racist or whatever. And so I think. Um, the fact that they make him the other in that room because he's Romani, right? Mm-hmm. So there's this sort of like they're like at the beginning they're just like, oh and there's a there's a gypsy man over there. Well, he if he's here, it must be bad, but it must not also be because maybe he's not Jewish, like things like. And you're just like oh wow, they're making even an other in this microcosm in this little room. Uh, they're 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 even creating an other an, a, a, a prejudice, and that's just like. Miller at his best, man. Yeah, I, I, Somebody I do
2: incident at Vichy immediately. Well,
4: let's do it. Let's, let's put it up. Let's do it. Nobody take my idea. Let's do it. All right, here we go. <laughs>
2: um, oh, anyway, what's, what's after
4: Vichy? Because I feel like after that Sure. It's yeah, like, yeah. Then we know. then we
1: start the then we start the sort of you know the the the, the long disconnect of, of his success, at least. Uh I mean there were I think I think starting in 1970 we start seeing revivals of um salesmen um you know right. crucible and all my sons are always going on. Um, so um, after incident Vichy we have the price from 19 the only thing I
4: know about the price is that this is the first time he start he actually has a Yiddish character and like oh that's right em- yes. yeah where he start, yeah,
1: starts yeah starts, yeah they talk about I... that in the documentary. Yeah, I Kushner was,
4: has a great quote about it where he's like, you're like, finally, Miller, you're writing what you know. That's <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, really funny.
2: I listened to this one. It was another LA Theater Works and Richard Dreyfuss was in it. Um, to me, it was kind of like age-old script about like two brothers gathering to sell things that their now deceased father had right. left behind. And one of the brothers kind of gave up everything and worked a menial job to support his family and his father while the other one was out and successful and now he's back and it's just kind of that conflict between the two of them right it was very family drama
1: yeah uh and then we have the reason why 1970 and... don't know much about that fame which either. uh what you know became it's um, one
2: act that's all uh, i know
1: it, no well it wasn't that the the movie and the tv no no oh. no nope. I... I hate myself so so you don't have to yeah you Uh, you you lost (laughs) us before you began Um, thank you Uh, the next
4: one though the creation of the world and other business the only thing i know about this play is that the outlook of it or the lens of it is humans created were created before god or like existed before god and the play is them creating god and almost every review you might like
2: this one yeah
4: yes but yes but what every review said and what I kind of feel like when I hear that is like it's just so on the nose. It's like we get it. Yeah. Okay. Like what yeah, is he it saying? Uh, yeah. <laughs> like it's saying what it's saying right on the on the cover, and then what's the point after that, right? Right.
1: Um. I don't know. Um. Next up in 1974 is Up from Paradise. Uh, I don't know hardly anything about it. Nope. Um. Just chime in as we go through this list. Um, yeah, we got like 20 more. Go for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Archbishop's Ceiling in 1977. Uh, the American Clock from 1980.
2: I did uh, read most of this. Uh uh-huh. um, It wasn't as good a read as the other ones. I. It was a play about, it felt very autobiographical. It was about the depression. And basically his family, they were living in Manhattan and then they had to move to, was it Brooklyn that they moved to after the great depression?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think so. Cause yeah, he was, yeah, they were like chauffeured. They were like, they were wealthy before the the depression. Yeah. And his
2: mom was kind of like an artist, played the piano, read books. Like that character is very prominent Mm. in this play and you kind of follow like a central character uh named lee and to me it was arthur talking about himself and uh, my tiny thing i have to say about this was i know that it wasn't well reviewed and they were just kind of saying like arthur miller is out of touch blah 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 but i i almost feel like this play would do way better now because i feel like in the 80s and 90s especially america wasn't that interested in its history
5: Mm.
2: And this show is, this play was pretty cool, because it, it is, it's about the Great Depression, and it's about the bad shit that was going on around, going on at that time, but it was also kind of about how families banded together and made shit work, and the people that made it through that. Um, right on, right did. on. Yeah. yeah, I liked so, it better
4: when it was called The Grapes of Wrath, thanks. <laughs> right. I liked it Uh,
1: better when it was called It's a Wonderful Life. Thanks. uh, um, Thanks, Arthur Miller. Thanks, Arthur Miller. Uh, Next up, uh, (laughs) Playing for Time, which was a television play from 1980. Um, Elegy for a Lady was 1982. It was the first part of uh, The Two-Way Mirror. Um, The second Mm -hmm. part was uh, Some Kind of Love Story, which uh, also was
2: written by Janelle Riley.
1: Ha, uh, shout out that that was a kind of love story by our friend Janelle Riley uh and um yeah. Um, um which became a very successful play by the way. Quite. Um I think uh I think about you a great deal from 1986. Do you? I,
4: I n- do you think about me a great deal? Yes.
1: Um playing for time from 1985 uh, I can't remember everything. Anything from 1987, um, Clara from 1987. Um, uh, that was yeah. Uh, and then um, see, then we hit the 90s, and we has uh, the ride down uh, Mount Morgan. Uh, I read
2: the shit out of this one.
1: Yeah, um, this is good.
2: It's I yes, I would recommend it. It's kind of about all right. Um, it's about a guy gets in an insane fucking car wreck he's in the hospital he's he's in a complete body cast and then both of his wives have been contacted and they show up
1: oh nice
2: and one of them has been married to for 30 plus years has a grown-up daughter and the other one he's been married to for nine years and he has a nine-year-old son and The whole concept the reason why they got married was because she was pregnant and she was going to get an abortion and he was like i feel like starting over again and promises Mm. her that they got that he got divorced to his old wife but then decided to stay with his old wife the (laughs) whole time and then you kind of hear him explain why he kept both of the marriages going the whole time it's just an sounds like a neil
4: labute play (laughs) yeah right
2: it it, i will say the women in this are a little bit more interesting and well-rounded Compared to like Linda Loman, you know what I mean. And Smart. I actually have some—I have some quotes from this one, and then we can move on. Um, Every relationship I've known gets to where it needs a lie to keep it going.
5: Mm. Um, <laughs> th- I That's feel like great. <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs> I've heard
2: this a million times, but uh, I'd like to think Arthur Miller came up with it. Come down off the cross; they need the wood.
1: Uh.
5: And.
2: Um, he is an endless string attached to nothing, which I was like, "Girl," is when I read that one. so.
1: Mm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> nice misandry.
2: If you want a uh, sordid, ta- <laughs> if you want a sorted tale about a man with two wives, it's a good one.
1: Okay. Um, next, we have the Last Yankee from 1993. Uh,
2: Burr- I have. I read oh. this one. Oh, okay. Uh, this was kind of my surprise MVP for all of his shows. Um, it was. It's a one act, and it is about two husbands meeting in a waiting room of um, a sanitarium, basically.
5: Uh-huh. Their
2: wives are both patients in there. One, it's her first time. The other one, it's like her third time there. And it's both of the men talking in the waiting room about their wives and why they were there and blah, blah, blah. And then the next scene is the women talking to one another in the sanitarium. And you can see the younger one encouraging the old one. It just kind of, it's a play about um, mental health and how also like, especially in marriages. And I think, I think this is the way he viewed it. There are so many women that just want to be um, included and loved and talked to by their husbands. And if a lot of husbands would do that then the women might be a hell of a lot happier.
1: I'm just being a dick.
2: Yeah, you are being a dick. Um, I'm gonna pick one quote from this, cause I had so many.
1: Let's do it. Um,
2: one of the husbands says to his wife, I don't think you ever had a medical problem. You have an attitude problem. And that made me mad, but
5: it, I feel
2: like it's something I've heard a lot to be quite honest, so. <laughs> But yeah, I that was my surprise MVP this week. I really enjoyed that show.
4: Interesting. Mm-hmm. I'll read
2: it. I didn't read yes, it. Yes. Please I'll do. It's it a out. short, it's you'll read it in no time.
1: What's next? Uh Broken Glass is next, nineteen ninety-four.
2: That was That's the last th- one that I read. Go ahead. That's v. the one
1: I wanted to read and I I found and
4: you found it for me, CJ, and I was so pumped to read it, and then I just never did it.
2: I just thought it was a really interesting story. It was a story about um, a failing marriage and uh, that had kind of had always been on the bad foot and and the woman, the wife, all of a sudden, she can't walk. She's in impeccable health. She doesn't know why she's sick and they send this doctor in. But it's also um, a story of watching because it's set in like the 40s or the late 30s. And it's watching Jewish families deal, American Jewish families deal with getting the news overseas about Hitler and what's going on with the Nazi party and how different people are dealing with it. And I just, it's a viewpoint I've never read before. And I thought it was very interesting.
1: Cool. I can dig it. Um, then his last three, Mr. Peter's Connections, Resurrection Blues, and Finishing the Picture. Uh, from 98 I don't know anything about any of those yeah yeah not familiar um but that's Arthur Miller man that's That's uh,
4: Miller in a nutshell in a nutshell okay so I want to hear y'all's uh opinions on this motherfucker I I want to let's start with um (laughs) let's do like a ranking of your top three plays and then I want to hear your dream roles.
1: oh you first
4: top three plays three two one in that order
1: three, two, one, man. Um, okay. I'm going to do, um, I'm going to do, I'm number three of you from, from the bridge. (sighs) I would love to play Eddie. I would love to play Eddie in that. Um, number two is death of a salesman. It can't be ignored. Um, and then number one is, um, I think just because it surprised me and came out of nowhere and it was new discovery, but it is uh incident at Vichy. Yeah. I think it absolutely endures. I think all, I think so many of those early ones endure anyway, yeah. but that would be it. And I, my dream, listen, any, I, I would be an idiot if I do not if I didn't want to play Willie Loman at some point. Yeah, you know?
4: absolutely. Is that your top? Is that go. your number one dream role, Scott?
1: Of these? Yeah. Of these, yeah, but not of all time. Does it make it in your top no. five of all time? Sure, sure, it would. Yeah. Sure. Word. Yeah. Sorry, I had my fan I, on. Yeah.
4: Sorry, guys. Uh, hey, siege Rooney. Siege. What? What's your uh, what's your top three rankings of the Arthur Miller stuff? You read way more
5: than three
2: us. Three, Death of a Salesman, just because. Um, uh, uh, <coughs> two, Last Yankee. Word. And mm. one... Incident at Vichy. Wow. Um, Yeah, it was a same thing for Scott. It was just kind of a surprise for me. Um, I there's not a whole lot of ladies roles in this that I would want to play. Like honestly, the younger wife in Last Yankee is pretty fucking great. I think her name is Patricia. Um, and then other than yeah, other than that, I would love love. I want to direct Death of a Salesman and tell people what to do and think but that's it
4: yeah um my top three uh, number three is view from the bridge uh, <laughs> had never read it uh, um, and oh no that's not that's not true I'm thinking of all my sons um uh, but yes view from the bridge is number three number two is um, the crucible. Uh, I think if we if we can delete all of our you know sort of uh, opinions on all of the productions we've ever seen, I think
5: <laughs> I think it, it truly
4: holds up um, and can be haunting in so many ways. Um, and then number one, I think we're all on the same page with this. I think it was just such a surprise, and it was just mm-hmm. so old the time. And maybe in ten years, I'll say something different. But as of today, yeah. incident is that was the one man. It just, it got me and I really want to write a pitch for it and put it up somewhere because it's just,
1: well, yeah. I I mean, I think that, you know, all three of us are pretty dialed in, um, you know, politically and with everything going on. I mean, there's the quarantine stuff. Uh, there's the coronavirus stuff, which has us all kind of in this stressed out, you know, sort of communal world right now. Um, juxtaposed with um you know quite frankly our our opinions about the person in the white house so um but then just also um just the 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 idea of the hatred of the other the manufactured hatred of the other that is that is done by the propaganda that is created by the propaganda the um artificial construction of um the love of, of a tyrant. Um. Yeah. Well, and that's my dream role. Uh, Von Berg is... Uh, Von Berg is God, a beautiful just, role. Yeah. Just so
4: good. He's got like three or four monologues that just rip you to shreds and they hit you in all the yeah. right ways and he ends the play and his, uh, his arc is so interesting and um, unexpected and I love it. Take take my papers oh, take my God. papers it's so it's profound I, yeah I want to play that role really badly um, yeah does anybody have like sort of a final take on Miller a final say on Miller is there anything you just need to like get out of your nutsack right now no
1: not just to, just to reemphasize you know I just um, yeah I think all three of us watched that documentary uh, yes and mm-hmm. um, and and as we started to embark on this project, the podcast as a whole, but then going, okay, well we got to tackle Arthur Miller. And I think all three of us kind of went, yep, we gotta, we gotta do it. Uh, And then to discover, you know, that we just forget. Sometimes you just forget the, the, um, the depth of his writing, Mm. the thoughtfulness of his writing. And I really want to go now and, um, one of the last research bits I came up with was with some of, was about some of the essays that he wrote as intros to some of his collections, and um, uh, just apparently that they're just brilliant, you know, dramatic analysis and and perspective, and um, y- yeah, you, you just forget sometimes, <laughs> you know, somebody gets older and they start to drift away, but. You know, um, I think any of us would give our right arm to have had his career from 1948 through 1964 as an extraordinary assemblage. And then just a, a life of, of writing, a life of being uh, in the theater and around the theater. Um, yeah, I was really knocked out by by him. And he is really... I walked away going, that's an American treasure. That's, that yeah. guy is guy. We'll, we will circle back around every generation or so. You'll circle back and go, oh, there's Arthur yeah. Miller. Um, that's my two cents. What about you, Sage?
2: I would like to alleviate my nutsack.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow.
5: I,
2: uh, reading his plays and then also watching that documentary, I would like to know Arthur Miller hmm. and hang out with him <laughs> and talk You know i mean i think a lot of his stuff especially views on women were very affected by the time but from the relationships he had with women and how he felt about his wives and his daughters like i just i don't know i just i think he was always at the very least he was trying yeah he was trying to understand people he was trying to write people well and he was trying to get people to understand more about themselves and even if he was wrong on some parts or a lot of parts i respect that and you can't say that for all writers in history <laughs> yeah
4: yeah absolutely uh my you know my takeaway uh, kind of the same deal as uh scott man is just i'm surprised you know it's it's an eye roll playwright for me that i'm now i've found a totally new respect for um Uh, But I think there's some problems there, but you're right. You're right CJ. He's a product of his time and he's doing his best And I think that's what's what's you know,
2: he was actually trying.
4: Yeah, he was and I think um, Something I noticed from a lot of his plays is there is a a deep lack of hope in a lot of these plays and I don't think that's about him necessarily, but I think that's about America and there is sort of you know, even in the American dream there's there is a lack of, of hope there and a lack of reality and I The fact that he tackled that so early and understood it so early is just incredible. And um, I have this theory that I'll get into on the podcast some other day. Cause this is getting long as all fuck. Uh, but I, I have this theory about brick wall people. And I think he writes about brick wall people better than anybody. And those are the people who just keep running into the same wall over and over again and bashing their head, mm. you know, and, and yeah. not really knowing yeah. how to get over it. And
2: Agreed. I think there's three
4: types of people. <laughs> I think there's brick wall people, there's, there's climbers and there's juggernauts. There's the people who can, who can juggernaut through the wall. There's the people who can climb over the wall and there's the people who just keep bashing their heads again. And I think he writes Mm -hmm. about the people who bash their heads better than anybody.
2: That's good, Bailey. That's really. really That's my final
4: thought on this motherfucker.
2: Well, congratulations. It's
4: the moonshine. Oh. It's the moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is that all we got to say? Is that all we, we, we would normally, now we would do a, a LA spotlight. Um, um, are there any LA spotlights we want to do? We, we shouted out LA Theater Works. I know there's a lot of Zoom stuff going on. I know there's a lot of just people. There's like- a
1: lot of Zoom stuff going on, and um, there... We the People uh, with Sacred
2: Fools has some stuff coming up in June. That's right. Check the out- Yeah, prompt for the June prompt. And they
4: have a website, Checked out right? the... Uh,
1: um, well, you can check out sacredfools.org, yeah. uh, We the People page. Um, uh, so check that out. Um, There's some social I know media Fools,
4: as well to uh, some of those things.
1: Yes. Um, and then I know that, uh, you know, I think all the theater companies are kind of scrambling right now to try and figure out how to do Zoom send stuff. Send us your stuff,
2: and, please. So we can yeah, holler us, out at you. Feedback. Especially right now.
1: Here, here. Um but no, other than that, big thanks again to uh, the composer of our theme song, Ryan Thomas Johnson. Yes. Big, super, super, super shout out to Pam Quinn for her amazing song. Yes. Um, and thank you for joining
4: us and for the episode yes! on Arthur yeah. Miller, All My Pods. Uh, we'll be back next week. Excuse me, next two weeks. We're going to kind of do every two weeks. That's, how, that's feeling nice. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, for now. But next time, we're doing now. Uh, Pod 9, which is... <gasps> on the works of carol churchill one of my favorite playwrights
1: i can't wait of all time and a total
4: digression from what we've been doing and i'm so pumped um but really excited Follow us on all of our social medias we have a twitter uh the theater pod and we have theater underscore theater underscore pod at uh, on instagram you can email us at uh theater theater pod at gmail.com if you want to get in on the conversation suggest playwrights anything like that Uh, But that's it for today. And as always, let's go fight the Axis of Douchebags. Yes.
1: (laughs) Axis of Douchebags. Yeah. Um, let's play it out with Pam Quinn's song, uh, for especially uh, written for this Arthur Miller episode. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks to CJ and Bailey for being awesome and You're for well, dealing Scott. with my crap. Thanks, and uh, <laughs> I love everybody. Um, talk to you all soon. Peace oh, out.
3: Love ya. I saw her. She was dancing with the devil, I saw her She was climbing out of hell, will you save me? Will you save me from her grip? I don't want to get lost in her trip I saw him, he was talking to the shadows I saw him He was speaking languages that I don't know And I froze in his gaze I don't want to be trapped in his maze Protect the ones you love from lies The lies I told to keep them alive And kill the ones who danced in the fire